Good, every, good morning, everyone. I'd like to call the meeting to order of Marin County Board of Supervisors for Tuesday, September 12th. And I'd like the clerk to do a roll call and then instruct the public, please. Supervisor Sackett? Here. Supervisor Lucan? Here. Supervisor Rice? Here. Supervisor Radoni? Present. I'd like to give instructions, please. If you're joining us today on Zoom and would like to participate, please use a raise hand icon located on your screen. If you are participating by landline, please press star nine to raise your hand. When it is your turn to speak, your name will be called and you'll be asked to unmute your device. If you are participating by landline, you will hear that you are unmuted. That concludes the instructions and I will pass the meeting back to Vice President Radoni.
Thank you. And President Moulton Peters will be here shortly. Right now we have a couple um, items to start with before public open time, so just giving the public a notice. There are two items before them today. Uh, the first one is a challenge award, so I'm going to pass this over to Matthew or Supervisor Wright. Thank you. Thank you. Um, good morning, everyone. Uh, yeah, I wanted to introduce here um, Jacqueline Hernandez, who has um, come to us from CSAC or from Sacramento to present this award to our assessor recorder department and the county for the restrictive covenants project, the mapping project. And um, I'll have a few comments afterwards, but I think I'll just turn on, on over to you and um, take, it, take it from there. Oh, Mr. Hernandez, go ahead. Okay. Thank you so much. Good morning. I'm Jacqueline Wong Hernandez. I'm the Chief Policy Officer for the California State Association of Counties. It's nice to see some familiar faces here today. Um, thank you all for having us here to present a CSAC Challenge Award, um, recognizing Marin County's great work. This county has always played um, an important role in our association, um, and I especially wanted to thank uh, Supervisor Sackett for serving as a board member for CSAC for Marin County. Um, the CSAC board tackled a set of intense issues this year, including homelessness, housing, and public safety policy, and we're in those last days of session right now in Sacramento, so I'm going to race back right after this. Um, and, uh, you know, as, as um, again, as CSAC's kind of chief policy officer, I wanted to thank Supervisor Sackett and the entire board for your input and your engagement on those issues. We do really rely on input from counties to give feedback to policymakers to make those policies work. Um, Marin's voice st strengthened our advocacy and really led to beneficial outcomes for counties, some of which we're still fighting for right now. Um, besides strong advocacy on behalf of all counties, um, CSAC is a 128-year-old organization that's a membership organization um, of all elected supervisors um, and offers programs to help boards and the communities you serve. Um, so, you know, in a, again, in addition to the advocacy, we offer cutting-edge professional development opportunities through our Cal California Counties Foundation, um, and in that foundation, we house our CSAC Institute for Excellence in County Government, which provides a lot of opportunities for supervisors and staff to continue professional development. Um, but enough about us. I'm pleased here to be here today to recognize the County of Marin's Mapping Unlawful Restrictions Project. Um, out of nearly 400 entries, we had nearly 400 this year, we awarded 18 awards, um, and one of them is this one to Marin County. Um, called Mapping Marin County's Pass Through Unlawful Restrictions, your county took a proactive and innovative approach to help eliminate exclusionary housing policies from decades past. Discriminatory restrictions limiting property occupancy um, and use based on race, religious, religion, gender, and other characteristics have been unenforceable since 1948 and illegal since the 1968 Fair Housing Act. But local records and recorded documents may still contain a lot of this um, old and illegal language. The passage of AB 1466 in 2021 um, is making progress by requiring recorders and real estate professionals to identify and re redact unlawful restrictive covenants. But this board, with a commitment to countywide equity, took compliance with AB 1466 um, to the next level. 
um, by convening the county recorder's office, the Office of Equity, and the Community Development Agency to take additional steps to really educate the community on the history, significance, and, and the ongoing negative impact of restrictive covenants. Through the Marin County Restrictive Covenant Project, the community now plays a key role in combating discrimination. First, the recorder's office identified parcels affected by the past restrictive covenants, which the county's GIS team used to create a digital map that shows neighborhoods that were purposely closed off to people of color. Users of the project's online map platform can now select an area or neighborhood and learn more about any illegal restrictions. Um, they can see the original illegal language and learn if modifications have been recorded. My understanding is that this map is updated monthly with new information as it's discovered, and I think that's incredible. Um, Marin County staff then embarked on a community outreach campaign to engage with residents and other stakeholders in a dialogue that both acknowledges and condemns this part of Marin's history. The themes of collaboration and community run through the county's uh, restrictive covenant project, and it's primarily what caught our judges' eyes. Um, we are also always looking for programs that are highly replicable, and this was a really wonderful example of something that is replicable in other counties. Um, and CSAC appreciates this board and the county recorder's willingness to work with other counties to advance equity in other communities. And so I am just really pleased to be here to present this award to Marin County. Um, the 2022 Challenge Award for Mapping Marin County's Past Through Unlawful Restrictions, uh, the whole initiative, and I'm happy to present it to whoever I'm presenting to. I think Supervisor Sackett will accept it on behalf of the board. And I'll just welcome Supervisor Moulton Peters to the meeting. Thank, Thank, you. You. Thank you. And turn it, turn it over to you. I think. So I'm going to ask our county assessor, Shelley, did you want to make some comments? S Supervisor Sackett's going to go and then uh, our you assessor. first and then Shelley. Okay. Thank you very much, Jacqueline. I really appreciate you taking the time to come today to honor this um, and recognize this really important work that I think the county of Marin is focused on not only addressing current inequities, but looking into the past. Um, and it was a big lift and continues to be a big lift for the assessor recorder's office that you know, was, isn't in the normal line of work that they do, but um, appreciate that they've really carved out the resources in order to bring this forward. I also just want to say thank you to CSAC for it's, it's a privilege to be able to serve um, on CSAC. And I know Supervisor Lucan and I have really taken advantage of the um, new supervisor training over the past year um, and have really learned a lot. Um, or I can speak for myself, learned a great deal um, and appreciate the advocacy that CSAC does on behalf of our counties, really elevating how legislation impacts counties, um, the leadership on the at-home initiative this year to try to better align our homelessness funding from the state. Um, 
and just advocating in the legislature on behalf of counties um, every day, including today. So thank you so much for all the work and for being here today. And I will now turn it over to our assessor recorder, Shelley Scott. Thank you. And I also want to thank CSAC. Uh, we really appreciate the award and the recognition. But over and above that, there were so many people on this project that I also want to thank. Um, this project you know, came about primarily because Katie Rice was the spearhead. And she actually reached out to me, I want to say my first month in office, and talked about, well, I'm going to let Katie talk about her story. I don't want to tell, tell your story, but it was very impactful. And I learned a lot. And, you know, we thought when a constituent actually reached out to me and showed me what the University of Minnesota had done with their mapping project, it really spoke to me. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a map geek. And when I saw what they did, it really spoke to me. It was in black and white. And I said, I would love to be able to do that here. I reached out to my wonderful staff, and they said, we can do that. And we began the project. And for me, it's really about educating our residents about the impacts of how policy marginalized people and to be able to really see that in black and white just spoke to me and I was just really grateful to have the opportunity to take this project on and again there are so many people to thank and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna have all of you at the end if you would like to please um, come up to the podium and say a few words about the project if you worked on it if you'd like to if you don't I'm, I'm okay with that too but I just know for me it was a wonderful project to be a part of and it, it really spoke to me and I couldn't have done it without the supervisor's support, Matthew's support, certainly IST, um, certainly my chief recorder, Jody Olson, Ellen Leo, and Emily Bozard. Those are staff members of mine that were very, very pivotal in this project. Shane Blair, um, Libby Garrison from the library, Liz Darby, CDA, Crystal Martinez, Nancy Warren, those were supervisor aides. Um, Doug Scranton, who was a land surveyor who came in and helped identify some of the language on surveys that were a little bit challenging for my office and my staff. But the beautiful thing with hiring Fred coming in to do that is my staff learned some interesting skills about surveying. So they now have a little bit more tools in their tool belt to assist our residents. So that was kind of a win-win for me. And Lori Azoni, um, who was a volunteer, came in and worked on the project. And uh, Maria Choa, who is County Administrator's Office, she developed a video um, that kind of also told the story of the project. And I'd actually like to show that video now. It's um, a few minutes, but I think it really tells the story of, of this project and what the work that we did on it. So I'd like to go ahead and um, show the video now if it's available. The Marin County Restrictive Covenants Project seeks to inform and educate our residents of the history and significance of governmental policies and programs that largely resulted in the wealth gap that we see here in Marin County and th in this country. We're trying to really bring home the history of Marin County in terms of how racially restrictive covenants are the primary driver for why we see such residential and community segregation today. We had decades and decades of people not being able to buy homes in areas that they would like to live. I realized that I, as an, as an East Asian from Africa, I could have never lived in Sidi Allah. 
for populations of color, it means the inability to achieve the American dream of creating a better future for their children. The difference is appalling in these areas that have these restrictive covenants, and you can see it in everything, in diversity, but also in schooling, in access to clean water, to healthy food, it's, it's everywhere. The racially restrictive covenants were first put in place in the early 20th century as a means to keep neighborhoods predominantly white. In 2019, Supervisor Katie Rice shared with me her experience um, after she was reading some of her title reports uh, on her home. As a homeowner, a property owner, taking a look at your deed and seeing that language is going to really have the most impact on a person that words can have because we're talking about the place you live and suddenly you're going to have a recognition that if you had been a person of color in 1965 you would not have been able to purchase that home even rent that home after doing some research and looking at the restrictive covenants they thought this is a great educational tool that was why we decided to do the map the mapping project has been incredible. There's about 4,500 homes that have been identified by the county. And actually it's helped my team and my interns. They have been able to use this data that was put together by the county to point out property numbers, the wording. We're basically sending them out to residents who are on the list. That's been a big major wake up for uh, a lot of the residents. Learning it through local history and actually studying housing laws, studying deeds, studying maps, it doesn't just tell you where you live and your privilege, it shows you it. I think we really want residents today to have a much clearer understanding of how racially restrictive covenants impacted the color of our neighborhoods today and the fact that Marin County is the one, one of the most segregated counties in the state, if not the nation. The way the many of the deeds works is that you strike the section in the deed. And so it isn't telling people that this never existed. It'll be shown that this is part of the deed. But you're making a moral statement by saying, I live in America right now. And this is wrong. It was wrong in the 40s and 50s. I've had a lot of residents in Marin County reach out and really applaud this effort. And many students have actually come forward and asked how they could volunteer and help and do some of this research and actually find this language. Our main goal was to file through tons of old newspaper clippings looking for evidence of segregation, redlining, racial restrictive covenants, language towards people of color that was discriminatory. Now it's kind of shifted into collecting all this research and data and information and developing that into a curriculum or a pilot that can be used in schools and can be taught from an angle of Marin and its vast history into redlining and segregation that not many students from my perspective know about. The county, like all of the cities and towns, is in the process of updating the housing element, which is part of our general plan. The residents of Marin have an opportunity to participate in the housing planning work to call out the more covert forms of racial discrimination. Now, obviously, racially restrictive covenants are illegal today, but comments come in more sophisticated manner, such ideas as it's important to protect the character of these neighborhoods, to uphold the high property values, and to protect the scenic beauty of our neighborhoods. These are 
dog whistle terms to basically say, we need to find ways to exclude those who don't look like us, who don't make as much income as us from living amongst us. We have to be able to call out um, acts and comments like this that really serve to push the county away from our values and our goals of promoting more equitable access to housing and developing a healthier, more prosperous and inclusive community. This is, a, this is the second message we're trying to get through with this racial covenant program. It isn't just simple property deeds that as the statement. It's a bigger issue in our community of how to balance out inequity, economic inequity in our society. I think understanding the impact that restrictive covenants had is important information as we consider our housing elements and as residents of this county look to supporting uh, the development and creation of lower and moderate income housing so that more of the folks who perhaps in the past were not able to purchase a home or live here in Marin County will have an opportunity to do so. We have an opportunity to do it the Marin way by making sure the growth is can fit into our communities and we can do this together in a very inclusive manner. Thank you, and just one last thing I wanna also highlight. Um, IST, the GIS team, and Michelle Jennings, they had a very integral part and really brought this thing over the line. I just wanna make sure that I acknowledge her. And I'm gonna turn it over to my Chief Deputy, um, Jody Olson. Good morning. I'm Jody Olson, Chief Deputy Recorder County Clerk for Marin County. Uh, I want to thank the CSAC team for this award. This is incredible. It's a, it's a huge honor for us. Um, what I would say is, in the, the video is outstanding. I think it really, as I watch it again, probably for the 10th time, it really, every, every time I watch it, I get something new out of it. But what I will say is, regarding the mapping, by now, my team, our team, has located uh, more than 13,000 properties that, ha that were covered by restrictive covenants at one point in time. Um, and that's from reviewing, I think, about 7,500 documents. Uh, we, we, we have several ways that we find these covenants, these restrictions, I should say. And so we're making great progress on that. In the mapping piece, uh, it was, I just want to make sure to say that it was not part of the AB 1466 legislation. It was really from the power of Supervisor Rice, Shelley Scott, um, and Supervisor Rice's staff for us to get to this point. So greatly appreciate it. I think the mapping piece really brings it home and it shows that it didn't just happen somewhere else. It might have happened right on my street. And I think that message that is delivered and learned from that um, information is, is just priceless. So again, we couldn't be more proud of the award and we couldn't be more proud of our work. I think we've all learned so much from our process. And I think if anybody would like to see some of the work online, they can visit our website, um, www.marincounty.org, and you can certainly go to the recorder's page and you can see this. Um, I think he was gonna show a little bit of the, the map. Here it is. So this map starts at 1911, and it's starting at 1911 because our program could not read cursive or script. Um, I have joined a national um, policy group regarding restrictive covenants, and they have just alerted me that Amazon has um, a new program that reads scripts. So we're gonna be investigating that, see if we can't go farther back. 
but this just shows you on this time lapse from 1911 up through, what is it, to, I guess, current day, um, parcels that we found that have this language. So just wanted to alert folks if they want to dig a little deeper, deeper, we have more on our website. And again, if anybody wants to come to the podium that worked on it, say a few words. Okay, yeah, can we have everybody stand up that worked on this? Okay, well, if there's no speakers at the podium, uh, do we have one with us? And then we'll do the picture. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, public public uh, comment, and then we'll do photos. Thank you. Um, it's it's a really interesting project. I appreciated um, the assessor's office explaining it to me when I called them many months ago. I do want to point out that there are some limitations um, to the project, as as was noted. Um, for example, um, the Tiburon Land Company, it's my understanding last time we spoke, Tiburon Land Company is not, their, their um, early properties are not going to be assessed in this, and there's some, maybe someone can delineate that. Also, if you're talking about starting in 1911, um, you will be apparently overlooking uh, major um, land holdings by the Freitas family, which I think you should not be <laughs> overlooking. It's a very powerful family. Uh, in, and uh, it would be a shame to, to lose that. I do want to point out that uh, many times on the video, we saw images of um, the wartime cottages in, um, in Marin City. And uh, I just want to point out that those cottages were burned. Uh, the Board of Supervisors permitted the county fire chief to burn hundreds of wartime cottages uh, right to the ground. Uh, as, a, as a demolition, should never have happened, would never have happened in a white neighborhood in Marin County. Uh, and, and that meant that there was, you know, a fraction of the existing population in Marin City was able to move into the, the housing project. Uh, but it was basically a get the heck out. So while this is important, I think it's excluding, uh, you know, kind of a more important recognition of what happened. And I do want to note that it's interesting that, that the county is uh, receiving and accepting this award um, when the other part of the story is, unfortunately, you know, 32 years of much more recent information um, that we retrieved via CPRA that shows the racial arrest demographics um, in the county, and it shows that Sausalito Police, Mill Valley Police, and uh, the sheriff, all three of those departments, over a 32-year period, 1989 through 2020, arrested on average black individuals at over eight times the demographic presence okay, in the county. Okay, if you could wrap up, please. Thank you, I just think that that's some important context. Uh, one last thing I would like to say because my family was racially covenanted, um, it, there was a, a really marked difference between how African Americans were treated under this and how Asian Americans were treated. And so we're just saying people okay. of color, Thank we're not you, really Eva. explaining what Thank happened. You. Thank you. Okay. Is there anybody else who wishes to comment? All right, and then we'll go online. Hi, I'm Sarah Ozer. I actually live in District 4. I'm president of the Hearing Loss Association of America North Bay Chapter. Um, congratulations. 
to the um, award winners, um, the video did not have captioning, so it was not accessible to me. So I would hope that any video that's shown on the screens here would have captioning so that people with hearing loss could be included. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Are there any comments online? Yes, we have um, Clayton Smith. Uh, please go ahead and unmute yourself. Since the assessor recorder was in charge of the voting is uh, present uh, there, I would like to ask if uh, she is aware of the Election Infrastructure Information Sharing and Analysis Center and the um, program called uh, FirstNet, a um, device that is used by Homeland Security to um, have access to uh, real-time access to uh, all the election um, information going on as elections are taking place across the country. I'd like to know if, uh, if we are in Marin County connected uh, to um, the internet through FirstNet, and uh, if you would like to um, agendize that perhaps in the future so that we could actually have a public discussion of uh, election security with regard to this uh, Homeland Security program called FirstNet. And the second thing I would like to urge, uh, since again, the uh, person in charge of our uh, elections is there, I believe that it would be most appropriate if your office was an elected office and not appointed. I don't think the person who's counting the votes should be beholden to the people who are the beneficiaries of them. And um, I think it would be something that would improve the confidence many of us have lost in our election uh, procedures if, in fact, you were a directly elected official. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Madam President, there are no other speakers in the queue. Thank you. We'll go now to Supervisor Rice. Thank you. Um, Shelly and Jody and team, um, thank you so much for all the work through the assessor's office. And um, <clears throat> Ms. Hernandez, thank you so much for being here from CSAC. I have so appreciated um, your comments and in describing um, the detail to which the CSAC and the committee, this process recognized sort of the multi-pronged objectives of this project, um, mainly that the history, um, the history significance and ongoing impact of restrictive covenants. I think that the video is excellent. I think actually the, our youth, um, the intern that was highlighting it, highlighted actually probably had the most salient comments and frankly the work that the intern team is doing. It's another offshoot of this project, developing um, curriculum and sharing it with our local high schools, working with the Marin County Office of Education um, is gonna be super impactful because it's one thing to educate current property owners um, and towards understanding the significance of where they live and why our communities look the way they look. And it takes it to a whole nother level when we see the youth um, understanding the ongoing impact, and they do make the tie, the direct tie between income inequality and the wealth gap 
and property ownership and who was locked out of property ownership and who was not. And California, frankly, um, uh, even exacerbated this issue through Pop, Prop 13 and, and other, um, other government and um, voter initiatives that continue to uh, support ongoing property ownership and reward those who got into property ownership years ago and, um, and con continues to harm those who were not as fortunate. So I just, I wanted to thank you again, thank CSAC so much, thank the assessor's office for this, um, for your work, thank our interns and our community leaders out there that are, continue to work on this. This project has long legs and is spreading in different ways throughout our community and I think impacting not just communities but individuals um, in an ongoing manner. And then lastly, um, I just want to really appreciate, Shelley, your office taking this next step in working with our offices, the AIDS offices, um, to make sure that uh, property owners are receiving information and understand what's going on. So it's not just that the language is redacted from um, a property deed, but the property owner is um, is notified and given um, more of a connection to learn so they can learn more about the impacts. I'm not saying that very well, but um, I really appreciate where this project has gone and what you did with it. Thank you. All right, now it's time for the photo. If someone could organize that, that would be great. The two supervisors, or you're going to take the picture? Unless you want to as well. No, no, no. Thanks for coming out. going to move now to item number two and um, I'm going to ask Supervisor Rice to tee up our resolution proclaiming September as Suicide Prevention and Recovery Month in Marin County. Right. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, so I am going to quickly hand over to Dr. Todd um, Germer and Carl O'Connors <laughs> to um, present um, the staff report on this 
backing this resolution, I, I just want to say a couple things. Um, it's been three years since the Suicide Prevention Collaborative was launched. I want to remind folks of the really um, critical role, an important role in leadership that our former behavioral health director, Jay Africa, played in de developing our strategic plan and in launching this collaborative. And um, Dr. M uh, McLaren also, thank you so much for your support. Um, but I want to hand it over to um, the leadership here to talk about the work that's going on and the impact that's being made and the ongoing need for us to shine a light on the importance of understanding um, the struggles that go on out in our community, the impact of suicide and suicide attempts on not just those who are directly involved, but family members in the community at large. So with that, I hand it over to you. Great. Thank you, Supervisor Rice, and good morning, Supervisors. Uh, my name is Todd Shermer. I'm the Director of Behavioral Health and Recovery Services, which is a division of the county's Health and Human Services Department. Uh, so we're here today in support of a resolution honoring September as Suicide Prevention Month and Recovery Month. Um, our presentation today is largely going to focus on some of the progress that we've made through our Suicide Prevention Collaborative. And I do believe we have a slide deck to share. All right, thank you. Can we go to the next slide? Um, so first, that our suicide prevention work fits into our larger behavioral health work. Um, we, we provide services in three general domains. We provide outpatient services, outpatient behavioral health services to people who are low-income Medi-Cal recipients with serious mental illness and substance use disorders. We provide crisis intervention services to all Marin residents. And then the last category is our prevention and early intervention work. And that's for all Marin residents who are uh, in a population at risk. So our Suicide Prevention Collaborative is, is one of the highlights of our prevention and early intervention work. Um, next slide, please. Um, so before we get into it, I want to share a few caring reminders. Um, we're here today to talk about suicide. Um, suicide is obviously an incredibly difficult topic to talk about. And so we are going to be presenting you some data. Um, so this snapshot is in honor of those um, statistics that represent a big picture of how tragedy and suffering might be prevented in our community. Each of these data points that we'll talk about is a person. It's a life, a family, a loved one, pain, and in some cases, recovery. Um, fluctuations in this data can't be attributed to any one factor. So please take care of yourself as we talk about this data with you. Next slide, please. So uh, from the five-year period in 2017 to 22, uh, 224 Marin County residents died by suicide. Uh, by way of comparison, that's a similar order of magnitude to the number of people who die by overdose in that period of time. Um, this is across the lifespan, race, ethnicity, and gender. Um, every time we come before you to talk about our collaborative, we highlight one of the different aspects of the collaborative's work. Um, and so today we're privileged to have um, a representative from our, our men and boys team. So men make up 50% of Marin's population, but 70 over 70% of the deaths by suicide. Um, and that is across the age span with particular risk factors for men and boy or men who are ages 45 and older. Um, every death by suicide is a tragedy, and there is some research that suggests that every death uh, impacts as many as 150 people. That can be friends, family, coworkers, uh, fellow students. And so this is a very um, serious and impactful situation in our county. So based on the, da the, the data that we're presenting, that could be 5,000 people who are impacted in some way by suicide last year. 
Um, there's also data that says that at any given time, 5% of people may be experiencing some sort of suicidal thoughts. So given Marin's population, that could be over 13,000 people at any given time. One, one thing that we would like to highlight as a success is that the great work of the Golden Gate Bridge Patrol, the California Highway Patrol, and our mobile crisis response team. Um, over 90% of interventions on the Golden Gate Bridge are successful. Okay, next slide, please. So um, before I turn it over to my colleagues, I just would like to highlight some of our successes in behavioral health and recovery services. Um, so this past year, we launched a new electronic health record uh, that's being used by all of our clinicians and many of our community organizations. Um, we've launched numerous um, housing programs at all different types of levels of care for both mental health and substance use programming. Uh, we have a new benefit for Medi-Cal members called Enhanced Care Management. That's both through the county and through multiple community-based organizations. Uh, we celebrated the five-year anniversary of our drug Medi-Cal waiver um, last year. We were one of the first counties in Marin to adopt the drug Medi-Cal waiver. And we're particularly proud of the expansion of our peer workforce, including hiring multiple uh, certified peer specialists. Um, so now it's my privilege to turn it over to my colleague, Kara Connors, Senior Program Coordinator for our Suicide Prevention Collaborative. Thank you, Todd. Um, thank you for your leadership. Thank you, supervisors, and especially Katie Rice um, for your um, attention um, to this really important um, issue. Uh, next slide, please. Um, again, my name is Kara Connors. I'm the Senior Program Coordinator for Suicide Prevention um, at the county. For those of you who are not familiar with the Marin County Suicide Prevention Collaborative, um, we launched three years ago, um, and a key part of our effort really is to advance our suicide prevention strategic plan, um, which is accessible on our website. And that plan looks at ways to address suicidality from a prevention, intervention, and postvention perspective. And postvention um, means after a suicide takes place. And we're really fortunate in this community to have made the types of investments that we've had to address um, this multi-level um, issue. Um, this is a health issue, and it can be prevented. And I'll talk a little bit more about what we're doing um, to, to address it. Um, let me talk a little bit about some of our accomplishments. And these accomplishments don't take place because of any one person. This is truly a collaborative that helps advance um, these efforts. So I'm just gonna highlight a few of our accomplishments and you can read more about those um, in our annual report. We've had over 600 unique uh, individuals who have attended our suicide prevention collaborative meetings, which basically indicates that there's a lot of energy and interest around this issue in our community. We've provided over 120 suicide prevention trainings and events that have been hosted by BHRS and many of our community-based partners throughout Marin. We have launched four support groups that, um, to support those who are loss survivors and attempt survivors, and those um, are um, led by Bucklew Programs and the Felton Institute. We have just um, developed the suicide and overdose fatality review team. We established the team and the protocol, and we hope to launch this year. 
and that will allow us to kind of track the data, look at what those shared risk factors are for those who have died by suicide, and then design specific interventions to address suicidality in our community. We've developed an expanded school-based uh, crisis response uh, and postvention protocol. In 988 was launched a year ago along with the crisis text line. And lastly, we've developed a series of campaigns over the last three years from Firearm Safe Storage, May Mental Health Month, Suicide Prevention and Recovery Month, Redefining Strength, which you'll hear more about today, as well as the Find Your Way um, campaign. Next slide. So this month is September Suicide Prevention and Recovery Month, and our campaign is focusing on Ask, Listen, and Connect. We know that when we talk openly and directly about suicide that we are not um, influencing somebody to take their life. In fact, by not talking about suicide, we keep somebody at risk. Listening and validating somebody who might be struggling um, and um, can be a great door opener for a conversation. And then we connect people to resources. This month, we will celebrate with over 15 different events in person and virtually. This Thursday, the Mask You Live In and Redefining Strength will be at the College of Marin on September 14th at 5 p.m. There'll also be a forum on children's mental health and well-being, um, another event called Resilient Even Now, Finding Hope and Libera Liberation After Exploitation, Growing Older in Marin, The Connection Between Ageism and Well-Being. And this is just a brief snapshot of, of our events. Next slide, please. So what can you do? What can we all do? It takes each and every one of us to prevent suicide in our community. Together, um, I w our, our ask is to continue to support Marin County Behavioral Health and Recovery Services prevention and intervention efforts, including the Suicide Prevention Collaborative, Crisis Stabilization, Mobile Crisis, Treatment and Recovery Programs, as well as supporting efforts that promote safe storage of firearms and medications and substances. Through your work, we can continue to normalize help seeking through the support of these initiatives, particularly for men and boys and those across the lifespan. And then lastly, to continue to support the Ask, Listen, and Connect campaign by learning the signs, opening up the conversation, and referring someone to safety. One of the great benefits of working in this collaborative is having the opportunity to work with my colleagues, um, including Andy Boone and Gabby, who will introduce themselves. Thank you very much. Good morning. I'm going to talk briefly about this slide. As Kara said, my name is Andy Boone. I'm a community member. I live in Novato with uh, our two teenage daughters and my wife, Karen. I'm really happy to be here this morning and my first time in front of the board. One of the great privileges of my life is, uh, and I, I mean that, is uh, having an opportunity to work uh, alongside uh, other folks in Marin County who identify as male and as boys in our community and to be involved with our Redefining Strength program. Uh, the program is a product of our strategic plan and I've had the luxury of the good fortune of being able to, to work in our schools uh, 
specific to suicide prevention, and as Kara noted, with our uh, Redefining Strength pro program. I'm a co-leader of our men and boys team. And what you see on this slide here is, um, first of all, highlighting an event that's happening Thursday night at College of Marin. Uh, just about one year ago, our first event wa was right here in these quarters, and this is uh, our second big community event where we will bring together um, mixed generation, mixed generation group of people for an experiential opportunity to really look at um, the masks we all live in to navigate this great game of life. It will be an experiential opportunity uh, and a workshop where we really get to look inside in something that's Will be led will be led by um, uh, Ashante Branch, who's from the East Bay and an influencer, socially very active in the community. So I want to encourage you all to attend that event. Um, it will be from five to eight p.m. and um, uh, really want to encourage you. I think now what I want to do, and in, 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 in maybe the sixty seconds that I have left, is share a personal story with you. And. Um, my hope is that the personal story really inspires you to think about Thursday night and how you might get involved. Thursday's our event here in um, Marin County, and on Friday, I'll drive to Davis and attend a Celebration of Life event for the late Dr. Aaron Rocky Doms, who was a classmate of mine at UC Davis. Just imagine for a moment the archetype of a very successful undergraduate at UC Davis who went on to UCSF Dental School moved back to Davis to found uh, a very successful endodontist practice, had two twins, uh, Maya and Aiden. Maya is a senior at Stanford and is a captain of the girls, um, of the women's soccer team. She's a fifth year captain, three time captain in her fifth year at Stanford. And um, her twin brother Aiden is an undergraduate at UC Davis, proudly following in the footsteps of, of uh, Rocky where he was a classmate of mine. Um, Rocky has a very beautiful wife and Clarissa, large Filipino family, and by all external measures was super successful, um, building a very successful endodontist practice in Davis, as I mentioned, and yet felt disconnected and alone, and about a year ago this time, uh, died by suicide. Just imagine for a moment, um, someone so successful by all of those external measures with kids active in university programs and yet feeling so broken, so disconnected um, that couldn't find a way to go on. And so on Friday, we'll celebrate Rocky's life. It's taken Clarissa a year to, to pull that together and we'll be reunited with about 40 classmates. And I wanna share Maya's post or Instagram post, which maybe is an odd thing to share, but this is very brief. She wrote, Dad, it still doesn't feel real that you're really gone. You were the most gentle soul I can say that everyone who knew, knew you adored your sweet, quiet company. You were the most hardworking, talented, and inspiring person, my biggest fan, and the best dad Aiden and I could ever ask for. I'm so lucky to have been so close to you. I will forever miss our golf dates, listening to our favorite songs, waking up to your omelets, going to sports games, satisfying our sweet tooths together, seeing you in the stands at every single one of my games. You loved and cared for us so much, 
that maybe you didn't save enough love for yourself. My heart hurts, and I wish I could just see you and your smile again, give you one more hug, one more headbutt to the chest. I'm so sorry I couldn't do anything to keep you with us or to save you. I will forever miss you, but I hope you're at peace. Everything I do is always for you. Love, Maya. And I, I share that story because this is a problem that we cannot run from. We all need to be involved. And I thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Andy, for sharing that very touching story. <clears throat> Good morning, everybody. My name is Gabby Agar, and I am here um, as a manager of Find Your Way, which you may have heard of last May. A little bit of background around me is that I graduated from Dominican in 2021 and will be graduating with my master's in public health this, this December. <clears throat> if it wasn't for the mental health resources and people who saw potential in me when I couldn't while living here in Marin, I wouldn't be standing here in front of you today. Find Your Way is, <clears throat> is very important to me um, as a youth wellness campaign, and we have been working on our youth resource guide. The goal behind it is for it to be immediate, reliable, and accessible to youth here in Marin County. Um, and we have it available in both printed and online, and then if you scan the QR code on the back, it will take you to our resource guide. Um, what I want to mention is that this resource guide has been in development since last summer. Uh, we were able to acquire partnerships and support last fall, and I was a part of the brand development, which took place this past winter and spring, um, and with the exciting uh, promotion of our resource guide, which is available to you now. We hope to have it available, especially the printed resource guide, in all schools in Marin County. Um, while it is accessible online, we want to make sure that youth know of it, um, and I'm currently trying to recruit our new cohort for this upcoming school year. And we hope that you can ask for your support in promoting our resource guide, um, especially as we continue to grow. Thank you. Thank you all very much. Uh, comments from the Board of Supervisors, Supervisor Rice, anything further? No, I just want to uh, thank you all for being here today and for the work you're doing. And um, it's it's really quite amazing how many folks have become involved in the collaborative. Um, I really appreciate so much, Andy, you being here today and sharing your story. I think that while um, uh, we tend to focus on the youth, which is so, so important, um, I, I think that the evidence shows that our youth are actually a little better at talking um, to each other and actually acting on that um, that direction uh, to reach out and connect when we see somebody in pain better than um, adults are and especially uh, older men or mature men, I shouldn't say older. So I just really um, appreciate you being here today and telling the story of your good friend. I, I think uh, probably everyone in this room has been touched by um, suicide. Um, and and that was part of what drove this effort uh, however many years ago, five years ago, when we had family members come and, you know, implore the county to take action and to do something. Um, and it's really grown into, um, this effort's grown into something that is so much more comprehensive and it has a long, a farther to go. But I just want to thank you personally for being here, Andy. Um, the Find Your Way campaign is amazing. Having the youth involved in that, watch that. Again, another great intern project. Nancy Vernon from my office, thanks for all your work on that as well. 
and and Kara and Todd, um, thanks for continuing to provide that backbone in terms of uh, guiding this work. It's going to be ongoing. So thank you very much. And I'll be there on Thursday. Thank you, Supervisor Eisenberg. Supervisor O'Donnell? Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, it's a pleasure having the resolution before us today. I had the opportunity to meet with Kara and Andy and Adrian yesterday along with me to get an update on the program coming up on Thursday, and I really appreciated that. And just thank you so much for this important work. Okay, very good. I want to thank you also, but I also want to uh, see if there's any public comment on this. So we'll call for public comment here in the chambers. And I'm not seeing anyone. Is there anyone online? Yes, we have Clayton Smith. Uh, please unmute yourself. The rise um, in this suicidal ideation, one of the things that's absent from these discussions is the rise in nihilism and the role associated with the government-promoted narratives in fostering either a hopeful or hopeless sense of the future. The question to be dealt with here is how we deal with the free-floating anxiety that occupies any social collective. The current government's paradigm is to amplify this anxiety to serve the ends of enhancing state control over ever more aspects of what was previously regarded as the personal sphere by causing individuals to look outwards for um, their inner quiescence rather than within. As those with an authoritarian bent seek to extend uh, and extract judgment from the general population, Nothing in my lifetime of nearly 80 years has done more to damage the individual self-control, that sense, than the government uh, policies that were enacted in reaction to the recent so-called pandemic. Economics plays a key role here, too. The constant arbitrary intervention by the state into the economic sphere have worked to compound this general feeling of personal helplessness. The growth of the welfare state has not been helpful in supporting the development of anti-fragility in our personal characters. Suicide, and I say this having been a kind of a co-therapist for 40 years, suicide is the final act in the drama of regaining self-control. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Madam President, there are no other speakers in the queue. Thank you. We'll bring it back. Supervisor Rice, would you yeah, like Yeah, could I? Move I would like to move adoption of the resolution proclaiming September as Suicide Prevention and Recovery Month in Marin County. Second. Okay. We have a motion. Rice, second. Lucan, all in favor? Aye. 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 Thank you all very much for your important work.
Okay, we'll move now to agenda item number three. This is open time for public expression for items not on the Board of Supervisors agenda today. So if you're here for an item not on our agenda, announce the time. I'll look in the chambers. Yeah, it looks like we have one speaker and then we'll go online. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to point out that last week I received another letter from County Council and this was the, if, I, if I'm counting correctly, it was the fourth extension of uh, CPRA that I submitted in, in June. Um, I had requested all correspondence, contracts, other documents between the County of Marin and staff and representatives for NACOL.org, which was the uh, nonprofit that was uh, apparently, if you can call it, coordinating uh, what turned out to be a sham sheriff civilian oversight working group process. Um, I would like to know what is so darn sensitive about these communications that it requires yet another uh, extension. Uh, I think it's a bit of a red flag and I think the underlying issue for me is really that, you know, you, you accepted these weak proposals on June 23rd. Uh, a week later, you handed the sheriff an additional $2.86 million, uh, additional monies uh, for his office. And I want to point out that uh, none of your sheriff civilian oversight working group members showed up uh, for that meeting to say a single peep. And it, 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 it really stank. Uh, I've talked previously about conflicts of interest. I want to point out, um, you know, obviously I've talked about Charlie Trezzo's significant conflict of interest, uh, Curtis Aiken's uh, failure to disclose his relationship, um, family relationship with SFPD and SF Sheriff. Heidi Merchant, I still have no answer from her. She appears to be married to the assistant Sonoma County Sheriff who oversees the jail. On top of that, she, it, it appears there's some evidence that she was an employee of the Marin County Sheriff at one point. And I asked the county for an answer regarding that for some clarification. I have no response yet. Um, okay, thank uh, if you. If I could just We're close in saying that um, every member on that working group had the responsibility uh, to speak up and out about the secrecy. Okay, thank you. We're at time and we have the next speaker in line, please. Ed Rusky here from Mill Valley. I wanted to make a quick comment that uh, I want you all to remain attentive to the uh, what I consider the monstrosity being built on Drake uh, in Marin City. It is a five-story uh, residential complex or uh, looks like a jail uh, and it is being built in the center of the most densely populated area of Marin County. Uh, it is an enormous mistake to build such a, um, such a, a an apartment building at that particular place. Um, thank you. Okay, no more in the chamber, we'll go online. Okay, first up we have Clayton Smith. Please go ahead and unmute yourself. Yesterday marked the 22nd anniversary of the destruction of the World Trade Center. The North and South Towers caught spectacularly on television 
and later in the day, the strange collapse of Building 7, mysteriously pulled down under the advisement of local decision makers. This anniversary is particularly poignant, coming on the heels of the August 8th, equally horrific destruction of the town of Lahaina. The only apparent differences between the two events being the scale and the amount of real-time media coverage. Anguished Maui residents were in Honolulu recently protesting the government's willful neglect of their pleas for immediate assistance in rebuilding their community, pointing out that the money is there. Instead, they say the authorities in charge are re relocating the recently made homeless victims to other islands. It appears that the locals were standing in the way of turning Lahaina into the smart city the power elite wanted to be. This is a message to America and to Marin. Our government has been corrupted by a murderous agenda, supported by a narrative by an unrestrained power elite bending all our communities to their will. Globally, it is known as Agenda 21. Locally, it goes by the name of Plan Bay Area. Marin will not be exempted. And uh, for the individual just spoke about the building on Drake, it's just part of the plan. And he should become familiar with the plan if he wants a more global perspective on what's going on here. Thank you. Thank you. Next up, we have Susanna Farber. Please go ahead and unmute yourself. Good morning, Supervisors. Susanna Farber with Teamsters 856. We represent probation, the district attorneys, uh, and as well as affiliated with, uh, with uh, MCNEA, which is the Management Employee Association. Um, I do want to thank the county's uh, time dedicated towards suicide prevention. Um, my family is a suicide survivor, uh, loss survivor, um, and so I just want to thank the county for that. Um, I do want to, though, um, talk about something that's not on your agenda, but uh, is, is tied into uh, mental health struggles and that kind of stuff, which is financial insecurity of your employees. Um, the, the county was provided a 17% increase for the Kaiser premium, which about 90% uh, of your employees are in the Kaiser plans, give or take. Um, and the uh, proposed increase would cost employees, even in the lower cost Kaiser plan, an additional $1,700 a year, uh, bringing their total up to about $4,750 that they'll have to pay out of pocket for both medical, dental, um, you know, vision, the sort of basic things for a family plan. Um, and uh, if you look at other surrounding counties and how they address the health care items, um, generally uh, the other counties, if I look at Alameda, Contra Costa, Sonoma, Napa, they're usually paying about two to $3,000 more per year for family plans. Um, a lot of this comes from the dental um, insurance. Uh, most of these counties are providing the full freight cost towards family dental plans where the county does not provide anything because the fringe they provide for medical does not cover the full cost of the medical and then they don't have a separate sort of contribution towards the family medical. So people are spending about $1,800 
a year on a family dental plan. I also would like to make sure the county's being transparent. Um, they knew about this 17% increase from Kaiser through a letter sent to their consultant on May 10th. They did not uh, advise the unions until the end of June of that specific number. Um, and I think it's really disingenuous to try to rush us into agreement when Thank they you. Had We're at time. Before. Thank you. Next speaker, right, thank please. you. And again, next up is uh, Lynn Feinerman. Please go ahead and unmute yourself. Greetings. Good morning. Thank you for the opportunity to speak uh, to the Board of Supervisors. I believe that on your agenda today, uh, there is a meeting regarding the uh, sheriff's uh, desire to keep and maintain uh, weapons of yes, war. Yes, that, that's our next item. Would you like okay. to wait until public and comment then? I can't, unfortunately. Okay, so all right, please continue. I appreciate your letting me speak. Um, I will try to be quick. Uh, weapons are made to be used. And weapons of war, as we all know, uh, very reasonably are, made to be used and if they are made they will be used militarization means uh that that police are put in a consciousness of war war against their own communities and military weapons encourage that uh, there's a lot of data now of soldiers uh, returning to the united states and becoming police and bringing with them uh, their PTSD and their mental problems, uh, which they can easily take out as um, symbols of authority on people in the community. Arming uh, police with military-grade weapons of any kind is preparing them to use them. And this is a very ominous uh, sign for our society anywhere in Marin County or across the nation. I would ask you to take those weapons away and to keep the police doing what they were supposed to do in the first place, serve and protect. Thank you. Uh, Madam President, there are no other speakers in the queue. Okay, we'll um, bring it back now to the dais and close public open time. And then we'll move now to uh, your next item, which is our Board of Supervisors matters and informational updates. I'm gonna look at uh, Vice President Ladoni to see if he'd like to start. Yeah. Good morning, yeah, thank you. Uh, it was a rather busy weekend. September has gotten very busy, but I wanted to recognize some events I attended that were mainly social events, but uh, um, equally important to all, all the work that we do. Uh, I went to a fundraiser in Simpson Beach for the Community Center exp expansion on Saturday. Also attended the school's rule event in San Rafael that day. And then on Sunday, I went to the East Shore Planning Group uh, annual meeting where Assemblymember Conley was the guest speaker. And again, uh, on Sunday evening, Center Point Achievement Ceremony in San Rafael. Um, I also today would like to adjourn in memory of Elliot Carlin, known as the Marin News Photographer, uh, who supported the ARC for many years. Al Pancha, a West Marin rancher and former school, Shoreline School Board member. Susan Hotskinson, a Marin County educator, 
who taught in Westmoreland Schools. So thank you for journey in memory of those three. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Supervisor Rice. Yeah, just very quickly, I just wanted to um, let my colleagues know and, and the public generally that um, I continue to work um, with Marin, um, the Fairfax San Anselmo Children's Center, Marin Community Foundation, Marin County Office of Education, the Marin County Child Care Commission, and First Five Leadership in trying to find a remedy for the Fairfax San Anselmo Children's Center in order to avoid disruption to the programs and services they provide to those children and families. And I will keep you updated. Supervisor Sackett. Yes, thank you. I just want to take a moment to talk about the Marin Mentoring Program that wrapped up um, last week. And that was a pilot where we were really focusing on how to retain county employees, but also how to you know, talk about promotional opportunities, et cetera. There were two tracks of that program, the, those for new employees and how to make them connected within the county, and then also for um, another track for career advancement. Um, and um, existing employees were matched with um, somebody in either of those tracks. We met with them um, at least once a month over six months um, to really just talk about. And, and as a mentor, the big question that I kept receiving was, how does the county work? How do I navigate this system? How do I, you know, get my work done the best way that I can and sort of work within the leadership? And, and it just really illustrated to me how it can be a foreign concept on how to navigate um, within county government for even folks who are coming from other governmental agencies, but also folks coming from the public sector. It can, it's just sort of the, what are the, the written rules and what are the unspoken rules? So I wanna thank, um, we had a lot of department heads who participated in that and were mentors, which I think was an invaluable experience. And on August 30th, the last um, lunch, there was a panel um, on how to prepare for an interview, um, both for a promotional um, and, and just any kind of interview. And it was a really great, candid conversation about best practices. Not everybody on the panel agreed on how you should show up, but just again, kind of demystifying that process. So I'm really excited that we're doing this. I think both mentors and mentees felt that it was a valuable experience and connection. Um, and my understanding is that Marlin Washington um, will be continuing to work on this and do another um, cohort for our affinity groups um, starting in a couple months. So I encourage everyone to, when that comes out, encourage folks to apply, and if you're inclined to be a mentor, it was um, very well worth the time. And then I just wanna quickly say the senior fair last week was outstanding. So much work put into that from many county departments, but it was packed and residents were engaged. And I think from many of the providers that I've heard from, they had quality engagement with so many residents. Um, the exhibit hall was literally bursting from the seams. I wanna thank the San Rafael Harbor Rotary and in particular, Jim Carrier, who who were parking attendants because there, there wasn't parking and uh, they were directing folks. So um, thank you for everyone who helped put that on. Fantastic. Supervisor Lucan. 
Thank you so much. Uh, just two quick updates, one, one positive, one uh, not positive. Uh, the positive one first uh, related to Highway 37. Uh, recently, the California Transportation Commission allocated $155 million of IIJA federal funds uh, to the Novato Creek Bridge uh, replacement and the Caltrans flood, flood reduction project. Uh, that will bring the bridge over Novato Creek up to the, the ultimate height for the Highway 37 span, about 30 feet uh, above sea level, uh, and it will completely um, uh, fix the long-term flooding issues we've had on Highway 37 uh, on that span. Uh, so this is the, the first fully funded segment uh, that will be built at that, that ultimate height there. So it's a, a, a big win. Uh, there was not a lot of money that was uh, allocated um, statewide. Uh, so to get $155 million of that allocated uh, right here in Marin uh, is great for the Highway 37 project. Uh, on the not-so-positive note, uh, over the weekend in Novato, there was unfortunately a, an appalling, uh, hate-filled, anti-Semitic demonstration uh, that was held uh, near downtown Novato. Uh, I just want to publicly state that I join with the city of Novato and the entire Novato City Council in denouncing any and all hate speech in our community. I think it's important when these things happen uh, to, sta to stand up and quickly call them out for what they are, uh, which is hate. Uh, and as a supervisor, I'm committed to joining and continuing to work with my colleagues to make sure that Novato, uh, Marin, our entire community is a safer, more inclusive community. And when we see these instances, uh, to quickly um, denounce them for what they are. Um, so I know the, the Novato City Council uh, and the city are, uh, will have a statement at their council meeting later on tonight and continue to work as a community to, to build a more safer, inclusive community where all are, all are welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Lucan, and I will uh, just wrap it up with, um, I tag teamed with uh, Vice Chair Rodoni at the Schools Role Foundation fundraiser for all of our Marin Public Schools, was happy to be there. Uh, and then the Centerpoint uh, Achievement Ceremony, uh, that's a wonderful treatment and, and workforce development program. And then Sausalito Ready, uh, the villages of Sausalito put on a uh, readiness fair for emergency preparedness, really well done. Uh, lots of good attendance, and that was followed on Sunday by an event, a wellness and health event in Marin City, a collaboration between Mayor Blaustein of Sausalito and June Farmer of the Permaculture Project in Marin City. So another great event. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to our county administrator. Good morning, Matthew. Good morning, Supervisors. Uh, just a quick update, and I, I did want to thank Supervisor Sackett for those comments on our mentoring program, and uh, special thanks to Marlon Washington, our probation officer, who's taken the lead in bringing that together. Um, and then just briefly point out that we did correct um, item 9B. Um, originally, the name of the departing board member was incorrect, and that's been updated online, and so just point that out as well. And that's my report. Okay. With that, uh, we'll take public comment on the reports. And I see someone coming to the podium, then we'll go online. Thank you. I, I wanted to um, add to the Board of Supervisors' comments um, something that might have been missed, and I haven't seen it come up. Uh, there were complaints about the police at College of Marin um, harassing and targeting black students. And in response to this, the College of Marin uh, established a council, um, an advisory, some sort of advisory council. And uh, I did not run the CPRA. Somebody else ran a CPRA because uh, the meetings were secret. And this is a weird, you know, parallel to your Sheriff Civilian Oversight Working Group. 
The meetings were held in secret. The public was not allowed to view them um, while they were going on. Um, and apparently, the, the members of this council, um, the identities of the members of the council were not actually disclosed, which is a step more extreme than, than what you guys did to share civilian oversight, because we at least knew who was, uh, who was on um, your share civilian oversight working group, and that's how we were able to track all the conflicts of interest. Um, I was very surprised when I saw the documents indicating that uh, Mark Dale and Curtis Akins were both appointed to the College of Marin uh, Council uh, on, on policing. Uh, Mark Dale has been uh, just zealously pro-police, will not consider any uh, issues with police as, as any sort of structural problem. It's, it's just always just a few bad apples. Uh, Curtis Akins was on your Sheriff's Civilian Oversight Working Group. Um, he has family ties to both the Sheriff in San Francisco and SFPD. Uh, but he's also, uh, in public meetings that are recorded, he's tried to whitewash the conditions at the county jail, uh, where someone died last month, by the way, an inmate died last month. Technically, he uh, was hanged and then was taken to the hospital. He died at the hospital, but anyway. Okay, thank uh, you for your comments on I, our reports. You. We're at time. Next, please. Okay, no one in the chambers. Is there anyone online? Madam President, there are no speakers in the queue. Okay, we'll now go to consent calendar A. Now, is there anyone who wishes to pull anything or ask any questions? Is there any public comment on consent A? I'm not seeing anyone in the chambers. And I'll move I consent A. Thank you. Second. Okay, we have a motion, Lucan, a second, Sackett. All in favor? Aye. Aye. We'll now move to consent calendar B. Is there anyone who wants to make any changes? Anyone in the chambers? I'm not seeing anyone online. I'll move consent calendar B. Okay, motion by Sackett, second by Rice. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, consent B is approved, and that brings us to item number seven. This is a request from the Sheriff's Office to provide a presentation on the annual military equipment funding, acquisition, and use policy and renewal of related ordinance by adoption of resolution per California Assembly Bill number 481. And, uh, okay, good morning, Sheriff Scardino. Good morning, President Bolton Peters, members of the board, Jamie Scardino with the Sheriff's Office. I also have with me uh, Sergeant Adam Shermerhorn, and we're here to uh, present to you our annual Assembly Bill 481. Uh, so with that, if we can get our presentation pulled up, that would be great. Thank you very much. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, so this morning, what we would like to do is uh, give you a little bit of background on Assembly Bill 481, um, the, uh, why we do need this equipment uh, as part of our inventory, um, how AB 481 uh, defines military equipment, um, and how we have purchased uh, the equipment that we have in our inventory that's been defined as military equipment, uh, how we fund it, how we've acquired it, and how we have used it. Uh, we will give you uh, a complete rundown of the inventory that we have. Uh, we'll give you all of our annual statistics for the last year, uh, and we'll certainly wrap it up with uh, any questions that you all might have. Next slide, please. So back in September of 2021, uh, Governor Newsom signed uh, numerous police reform bills, um, including 1185, uh, Sheriff's Oversight, SB2, which is decertification of peace officers, 
uh, in Assembly Bill 481. Um, this was done to increase uh, the transparency, accountability, and oversight uh, for acquisition uh, and use of uh, police equipment. So there's several requirements that come along with Assembly Bill 481. Um, that is, we are to come to your board uh, on an annual basis uh, to report to you our equipment usage, any updates, um, document our internal audits, and uh, we are required to hold uh, community input and community discussions, which we will talk about um, in a later slide. Next slide, please. So why do we need this equipment? Uh, our ultimate goal uh, in any incident uh, that we have is a safe and peaceful resolution for all the parties uh, that are involved. Um, we have a responsibility uh, to safeguard human life, uh, first and foremost. Um, so what concerns do we have uh, when we encounter an incident? Uh, we do not know the actions or the capabilities or the intentions of those um, that uh, we are dealing with in any particular incident. So there are certain factors that we take into consideration, and that's the time, the distance, and the cover uh, to assess each situation for the goal of a successful resolution. Um, I said this last year, uh, and I'll say this um, to you this year also and every year that we come back, um, and that's that I would rather have this equipment and not need it than need it and not have it. So next slide, please. Uh, as I mentioned, Assembly Bill 41 requires approval from your board for our continued use uh, of this equipment that's in our inventory as well. Um, and um, as I mentioned, um, we'll go through our inventory, the maintenance, um, how we've purchased each of the equipment, um, and then uh, we'll talk about our community input. Next slide, please. We held our first uh, community um, forum and came to your board back in October of 2022, uh, where you did approve um, our Sheriff's Office military equipment that's defined in Assembly Bill 481 and also our policy uh, that is defined uh, in number 706 which is military, military equipment. Uh, that policy can also be found uh, on our website at marinsheriff.org. Um, what we plan on doing in uh, moving forward in the future is we will come to you um, with an annual report uh, based on fiscal year so we will come back to you uh, next August, as we had uh, planned on doing this year, but this particular meeting got, got pushed back a month. So with that, I will uh, turn it over to Sergeant Adam Schermerhorn. Morning, thank you for having me today. Um, and I'll go through, uh, next slide please. Uh, this is an image here on the slide uh, that shows uh, what a UAV or a drone operator sees as they're flying the drone. This particular one happens to be uh, on the ground, ready for takeoff. And as we go to the next slide, uh, we're going to go through a list of equipment categories and definitions that are defined in Assembly Bill 481. Uh, the note at the bottom shows that everything that is highlighted in yellow are categories that the Marin County Sheriff's Office currently has in our inventory. I'll go through them briefly, and then we'll have additional slides that will touch more on some of this information. Uh, the first one, which is Category 1, covers unmanned, remotely piloted, uh, powered aerial or drone vehicles, which is ultimately uh, identified as a drone. Uh, moving into category three, it's a high-mobility, multi-purpose wheeled vehicle, two-and-a-half-ton trucks, five-ton trucks, or wheeled vehicles that have breaching or entry, entry apparatuses. Uh, with that, we have uh, an armored rescue vehicle, um, most commonly referred to as a Bearcat, which falls under that category. Uh, moving on to category five is a command and control vehicle, either built or modified to facilitate the operational control or direction of public safety units, which we as well have in our um, inventory. Category seven includes battering rams, slugs, or breaching apparatuses that may be explosive in nature. 
Uh, category 10 is specialized firearms and ammunition less than 50 caliber. Uh, category 12 includes noise, flash, diversionary devices, and explosive breaching tools, munitions, or tear gas. OC are including standard uh, service-issued handheld pepper spray, which again, our staff members <coughs> are issued. Uh, category 14, which is the last item that we have within our AB 481 inventory, includes kinetic energy weapons or munitions. Next slide, please. Uh, this next slide that we have shows a breakdown of the table of each of the categories that we have, items that fall into each of those specific categories. In the center, we have uh, a column that shows how the equipment was funded, as well as how long the equipment has been in the Sheriff's Office inventory, and whether comparable agencies within the Bay Area also have items that fall into each of these categories. Um, so as I briefly touched on for the categories themselves, we do have remote controlled robots or drones, armored rescue vehicle, command vehicles, breaching rounds, patrol rifles and or precision rifles, as well as diversionary devices and tear gas and less lethal or kinetic energy rounds. The comparable agencies uh, that we have listed here with a check mark uh, include all of the agents, uh, the counties identified by the County of Marin as comparable to the Marin County Sheriff's Office. Uh, those agencies are used when we go through contracts and try and identify uh, based on the services that they provide as well as the size and location of their county, whether they are comparable. And that includes Sonoma County, uh, Napa County, Solano, Contra Costa, Alameda, Santa Clara, and San Mateo. Next slide, please. Uh, this is a YouTube link, which we'll pull up, and hopefully we don't have too many ads here. Um, if you're able to pull this up, this is going to be about a 90-second video showing a walk around of our Lenco Bear. <laughs> there is a little bit of sound to it. It's not really relevant. Uh, this shows the exterior of the Bearcat itself. It has lights and markings on the vehicle. There are uh, is an opportunity for uh, siren as well as a intercom or PA system. Um, this shows some of the items that are stored on the interior as well as that top pole up there is actually a turret so somebody could stand at an elevated platform for better visual of the vehicle. Uh, the last couple slides of this are just the, uh, or excuse me, uh, seconds of this video is just the Bearcat as it drives away so you get a full view of the side and rear of the vehicle. Thank you very much for that. We can go to the next slide. All right, the next handful of slides are gonna cover equipment use for this nine month period between October of 2022 when the board had approved this policy and all of the equipment leading up to the end of the fiscal year in June of this year. Um, I'll touch on how each of these slides will have a case number and the date associated with it. There is a mission type describing in brief what it was, whether there was any criminal offense associated with it, and then we'll have a small synopsis, and then at the very bottom there'll be bullet points, which may be difficult to see on the screen, uh, which will include any of the AB481 items uh, that were utilized. So the first one taking place of November of 22 was a Marin County Search and Rescue and National Parks Assist looking for a missing person. There was no criminal uh, uh, offense associated with it, but our UAV team was able to utilize a drone um, or two different UAVs in performing a search of a large area. Um, a missing person happened to be found in another area already deceased. There were two uh, UAVs that were utilized there, numbers eight and number 11. Those two items uh, are different in size and capabilities, and throughout this presentation, you'll see numbers eight and 11 uh, come up quite a bit. Next slide, please. Uh, the end of November, excuse me, end of December 2022, there was an Assist Fairfax Police Department 
uh, Marin County Special Response Team was requested uh, for a assault with a deadly weapon subject who was residing at a residence in Fairfax. The special response team was assisting Fairfax PD with his call. The subject um, had stepped outside of his residence with a shotgun, uh, fired multiple rounds close proximity to his neighbors, and then retreated back inside of his home. Um, the command vehicle, which is identified as a 2001 Matman Freightliner, was utilized along with our Lenco Bearcat, which is an armored rescue vehicle. Um, our special response team operators had their um, issued Franklin Armory um, and Colt Armory um, uh, rifles assigned to them. And then there was, again, two UAVs that were used. That subject was taken into custody without any additional incident. Next slide, please. Um, January of 2023, the Marin County Search and Rescue was looking for a missing suicidal person in the Marin Headlands. Uh, a total of four UAV flights were flown in the area, but nothing noteworthy was discovered. Again, numbers uh, eight and 11 of our UAVs were utilized in that incident. Next slide. Uh, again, the end of January of this year, um, Marin County Fire was searching for a missing kayaker in Tomales Bay. Uh, two flights were conducted, the kayaker was la where he was last seen, uh, but the subject was not found. Uh, UAV number 11 was utilized in that. Next slide. Uh, Mid-February of this year, uh, we were assisting California Highway Patrol, searching for two subjects who fled from the scene of a commercial burglary. And in this case, there were two criminal offenses associated with it. Uh, two aerial flights were conducted in the area where the subject was last seen and the vehicle had been abandoned, but no sign of the subjects were observed. There was one UAV that was utilized for this. Next slide. Um, the end of March of this year, Marin County Emergency Operations Center was monitoring progress of a mudslide in unincorporated Nevada. Uh, there was no criminal offense associated with this, but there were multiple flights conducted over multiple days in order to monitor this uh, mudslide progress and how it was affecting uh, roadways as well as utilities. Two UAVs were utilized uh, over the course of that uh, week-long period. Next slide. Uh, end of May of this year, we are assisted with California Highway Patrol with taking evidentiary photographs and uh, video footage of the scene of an automobile accident. Uh, due to the location, they were unable to get clear image and context based on still shots, and so they requested the overhead uh, video. Uh, one UAV was uh, utilized for this. Next slide. Again, May of this year, we assisted Ross Police Department with a barricaded suicidal subject that was out of residence within the city of Ross. Um, the Welfare and Institute co Institution Code 5150 was the only offense. Um, the UAV team was requested to assist Ross PD, and they were able to conduct flights both on the exterior of the residence as well as the interior of the residence and able to identify the person. Um, and when it was deemed that he was no longer or was not any threat to the public, um, he was able to get medical and mental health treatment. There were two UAVs that were utilized throughout that process. Next slide. Uh, early June of this year, the Marin County Sheriff's Office Investigations Division can utilize a UAV for evidentiary photographs and video of the scene of a suspicious circumstance. Um, one flight was conducted over the scene utilizing UAV number 11. Next slide, please. Again, June of this year, we assisted Tiburon Police Department in the search for a burglary suspect. There was the uh, 459, which is burglary. Uh, the penal code was our only offense for that and the UAV team was assisting Tiburon PD by conducting two flights, but the subject was not located. UAV number eight was used in that incident. Next slide. 
Uh, June of this year, Santa Fe Police Department requested uh, the UAVs in a search for a robbery suspect. Um, 211, which is a robbery penal code, was uh, the criminal offense. And eight flights were conducted by the UAV team. The subject was located by ground searchers in nearby area. Two UAVs were utilized for that. Next slide. Uh, the end of June of this year, um, Santa Fe Police Department uh, requested assistance utilizing UAV to clear a suspect's vehicle. This is a carjacking suspect, which is 215 of the penal code. Um, one flight was conducted to confirm the vehicle was unoccupied. Um, UAV number eight was utilized in that instance. Next slide. Uh, the end of June of this year, National Park Service requested uh, assistance looking for a suspicious subject possibly carrying a firearm. Um, end of Tennessee Valley area. Uh, one flight was conducted, there was no subject located, and UAV number 11 was utilized in this instance. Next slide, please. Uh, this next image is one of our drone operators, uh, it's Deputy Hart. Um, you can see from this, he's still in his full patrol uniform. Uh, during this incident, he was called out to the scene. He was able to deploy a UAV to get it up in the air, and he's actually looking at a handheld controller that has a small screen on it so he can see what the drone is seeing and control all the functions of it from there. It happens to be plugged in, which we're actually uh, we're able to get plugged to a, a television screen so anybody at the command post is able to see what's going on, provide additional uh, direction um, or assistance for him as needed. Next slide, please. Um, this slide is going to cover our data retention for the UAV. We uh, previously held a community engagement meeting uh, via Zoom uh, July 26th of this year. We had nine community members log in for it, and many of the questions that came up throughout that presentation was uh, related to the UAV uh, data retention. So I wanted to include this on here. Uh, the vast majority of our AB481 equipment usage has come from our UAV team, or drone team. Um, these concerns were brought up, and the question, uh, excuse me, broadly covered um, what or how long um, the data was stored in accordance with the sheriff's office policies. So incidents that are not being forwarded to the district attorney's office for prosecution are deleted within 60 days, excuse me, after 60 days. Um, incidents that are forwarded for prosecution will be stored for longer due to evidentiary purposes, and that'll be dependent on the type of crime um, and our policy, um, not in 706, um, but we do have a policy that covers all this information. Next slide, please. Uh, during this annual reporting period, which was October 22 through the end of June of this year, the Sheriff's Office did not purchase any additional equipment that falls under AB 481. There were no maintenance costs associated with this for the equipment that we currently have in our inventory. Next slide, please. Um, new purchase authorizations. There's two bullet points that were on here, which is again some information that had come up through our Zoom meeting in July of this year as to how we would go about uh, getting new equipment and what approval process we would need. So any new purchase of equipment, which is something that's not currently in our inventory, would need uh, approval from the Board of Supervisors. Um, the way the bill is written is the purchase or replacement of any current equipment that we have due to either low quantity or damage is able to be purchased without prior approval, but at the end of the annual uh, reporting period, we have to advise you of that uh, purchase and request permission to keep that within the inventory itself. Next slide, please. Moving forward from 2023 into 2024, there are two items 
that are expected uh, or that we expect uh, to try and purchase, one of which is going to be new UAVs devices, which are better suited for both confined spaces as well as um, high altitude um, drones. So that would be a new purchase. Uh, we have grant funding through that for UASI. The only problem with that is we don't know when that grant will fund. So it may fall within this next 12 month period, uh, but currently we have no update uh, for when that will happen. So we'll uh, come forward to the board when we have additional information about purchase and funding timelines. Uh, additionally, the Marin County Sheriff's Office special response team will need to replace training munitions, uh, specifically for the noise flash diversionary devices commonly referred to as flash bangs, um, due to a limited quantity. We have both training fuses, uh, which are lower volume in terms of decibels, as well as a smaller flash that are utilized for training purposes, as well as um, real life or uh, full size um, diversionary devices. Um, we had tried to purchase those within this last annual reporting period, uh, but they were out of stock and there was no expected timeline when that they would be available. Um, so we've reached out to our vendor and there's still no timeline as to when we may be able to get those. So again, we'll come forward if necessary, um, if that falls within this annual reporting period. Next slide, please. Uh, this slide covers how equipment can be funded. Um, there's a multiple bullet point items here, but it's pretty uh, standard compared to additional law enforcement equipment, including the Sheriff's General Fund, uh, Marin Capital Improvement Projects, um, asset forfeiture funding, local, state, and federal grants, reallocation of county resources, and then this last bullet point here is something that um, is oftentimes touched on, which is the 1208 or 1033 programs, which are transfers of uh, equipment from the Department of Defense to law enforcement agencies. Um, and I have it noted here at the bottom, the Sheriff's Office has not sought to acquire any equipment through either of these programs since two th uh, 2020, and the equipment that was requested at that time was uh, blankets and sleeping bags uh, for our search and rescue team. We have no plans to continue utilizing the 1208 or 1233 program going forward. Next slide, please. Uh, these next couple of slides are gonna touch on our community information and engagement activities. Um, we have posted on our website the full text of AB 481, uh, along with what, uh, excuse me, along with the 481 approval from October of last year, uh, which the board had approved. We also have the full text of our policy 706, which includes the, is the military equipment. Um, we also have posted July of this year, we had a community engagement announcements um, for our Zoom meeting, which was July 26th. I previously mentioned we had nine uh, members of the public who logged in for that. And then on September 7th, last week, we had a Sheriff's Office open house event in order to show off the command vehicle, our armored rescue vehicle, uh, much of the equipment that does fall on the AB 481 uh, inventory list, and then to be able to put on this annual report. We had uh, two members show up, Supervisor Sackett and her aide. Um, and then we, have, we had information about the Board of Supervisors meeting today and that it would be on the agenda. Next slide, please. Additionally, we posted this information on our social media platforms, which includes Twitter, X, as it's now known, where we have just over 23,000 followers, on Facebook, which has just over 15,000 followers, and Instagram, which uh, is actually a little over 10,000 followers as of this morning. Uh, we posted notices for each of the events, uh, both for our Zoom meeting as well as our Sheriff's Office open house, which was last week, and we published information uh, on the dates that we have listed here. Next slide, please. 
this, la uh, this last photograph that we have for you is one of the UAVs. This is actually uh, the Mantis, which is our only drone that we currently have in the inventory, which is able to do anything high altitude. Uh, it also has cameras and infrared technology on it, so we're able to zoom and uh, read, uh, whether it be uh, information that somebody might have on a sign or anything else. So this does have zoom capability as well as infrared. Um, this is the drone that was utilized in many of the uh, incidents that we talked about earlier. That is the only information that I have for our annual report for you. Uh, we can go to the next slide, which just covers, uh, we're open to questions, comments, or concerns. Uh, thank you both for the thorough report. Um, it, it looks like most of the incidents are related to other agencies requesting us. That's just right. wondered if there's a cost associated with that to other agencies or this is part of your mutual. There's no cost to that. I do have a few questions. Thank you. Um, first of all, I want to thank you for the open house um, and and it was interesting to see how all of this in person and kind of get a, a feeling for what equipment we're talking about um, and how it's used. I guess the, the thing that really stuck out to me from that open house was the need for deputies to have familiarity with the um, equipment um, so that when it, the event happens or when it's needed that, that it's not kind of, it, jumping into it for the first time. So I appreciated um, being able to see the Bearcat and so forth in person. I have a handful of questions for either one of you. Um, on the funding page, where the funds come from for this equipment, there's a category of asset forfeiture funding. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, so asset forfeiture uh, comes from cases that we have conducted where um, U.S. currency was confiscated. Uh, that goes through a process with the district attorney's office, and um, oftentimes we are allowed to keep portions of that confiscated money, and that is referred to as asset forfeiture. Okay. Um, and then just kind of the inventory of what you have here, how does that, do you feel that that meets the, the department's current needs, it exceeds the department's current needs, and what um, would be the plan B if these tools were not in the department? So I, I think we are at a position now where um, we are, our inventory is adequate. Um, we're always looking to um, maybe upgrade or purchase something. Um, as Sergeant Shermhorn mentioned, um, we do have some ideas about purchasing in the future. Uh, but um, I, I do feel like we're, we're fine where we're at right now. Uh, what would happen, to answer your second part of that, what would happen if, if uh, we didn't have this equipment? Um, I hope we don't get to that because um, that would be um, a concern safety for our community. Um, you know, God forbid there was an incident within our community, whether it be an active shooter or whether it be a hostage situation, um, and we're not able to safely respond to that situation because we don't have the necessary tools uh, to remedy that incident, that would be, uh, that'd be very concerning. Um, and we would have to have uh, another agency from uh, whether it be another county or another jurisdiction come in who uh, would possibly have this equipment to, uh, uh, to remedy the situation. So um, that would, it would be very concerning if we didn't have this equipment. 
And Sergeant Schumerhorn, on the, the privacy concerns around the retention of the drone footage, so my understanding is, is if it's there's not a criminal charge associated with it, it's automatically deleted, that footage is automatically deleted within six days? That is correct. And then if there's a potential of a criminal um, case to follow and it's from another agency because um, it looks like most of these are requests from other agencies. Can you tell me how that data and privacy protection, sure. kind of the pathway? I understand. Uh, as, it, as it is right now, any footage that we have will be uploaded to evidence.com, which is a secure um, online or web-based platform. Um, and if another agency requests that information, uh, whether it's going to the district attorney's office or for their review, by their investigations division. They have to request that through our evidence technicians or evidence clerks that monitor and are able to send out a secure link that is only usable for a certain duration of time. And if it does go to the district attorney's office, both the DA as well as the public defender are able to get access to that video footage in order to use for any evidentiary purposes for their case. But if it's deemed that it's uh, no longer necessary for their case or the case is adjudicated, then all of that information or the data would be deleted. And is is, is RIPA, it, would a deputy enter an interaction where they've used some of this equipment into the RIPA database and collection tool? Some of this might be relevant for a RIPA entry, but just the use of the equipment itself does not uh, automatically uh, trigger a need for a RIPA entry. So if a UAV is utilized to search for a missing person, for instance, the, the UAV is not detaining them for any reason. They may not really have any contact um, so just the use of the equipment by itself does not automatically trigger that, but it may be involved with that data entry. So there might be a detention, or there might be a reason that we have law enforcement contact with somebody which would trigger uh, a RIPA entry, but just the use of this equipment by itself does not automatically trigger that. So let's take one of the examples where there was um, somebody with a, it sounded like potentially a firearm in their home concerned of suicidal um, interactions. If if that's being requested by a, one of our cities or towns, would, would a deputy enter in any RIPA data on that kind of interaction? So I, I, utilizing the incident that we had with we assisted the town of Ross for a, a mental health subject inside the residence, there would be a RIPA entry that was made by the investigating law enforcement agency, but I don't believe that we need to have a second uh, RIPA entry for the sheriff's office just because we're the ones that are utilizing uh, the UAV in this case. So the agency that is conducting the investigation or handling this, in which case happen to be a 5150 investigation, that agency would handle the RIPA entry and it does not, uh, RIPA itself does not require the sheriff's office to do a secondary entry. Thank you. I, I have a few, and thank you, by the way, to both of you for answering my questions earlier this week, too. So um, I miss the open house, and I'm sorry. I would have liked to have seen that, so we'll have to keep a closer eye out in my office for this. So I'm curious, what, what are the, the handguns carried by our off your deputies right now? What, what's, what's the name of those, and are they on this list? So AB-41 does not require any standard issue handguns uh, to be included with that. That doesn't meet the definition of the military equipment. Uh, but our office, for everybody on, uh, assigned a full-size duty gun, it's a Glock 17, which is a nine millimeter handgun. 
Okay, and those are not on this list to confirm. No, there's okay. nobody who said that. And can you tell me a special training is required for, I, I think it's on this, although the print's kind of small, so is special training required for the pieces of equipment on this list? For almost every item that we have in our inventory, special training is required. So the vast majority of our staff is not trained in the use uh, of most of this equipment. So some things uh, like the Remington 870, which is a less lethal shotgun, which has kinetic rounds, they're essentially a beanbag round for impact. Um, everybody in our department trains and qualifies with that at least once a year, uh, but the use of the Bearcat or uh, the diversionary devices, UAVs, et cetera, um, require specialized training, whether it's uh, an 80-hour SWAT school where they get um, training on some of that items or a week-long UAV training operator or a flight operator course. Okay, so then to confirm, there's special teams, special officers that utilize this equipment. That is correct. Um, can, can you just, just uh, for estimate purposes, how many total people do we have on, on the force and then how many, uh, what percentage is on these special teams? Uh, there is a lot of overlap. So we have 197 uh, sworn staff currently. Uh -huh. uh, if we were to include all of the specialized teams, since we do have some overlap from one team to another, I would say we'd probably be in the neighborhood of about 35 people total that are trained in, in some area or use of these items. Um, what does a noise flash incendiary device, what's that used for? So it's a, it's a distraction device. So the uh, idea behind it is it will put out a, a loud audible noise as well as a bright flash. So it would be utilized in a relatively confined quarters in order to, uh, it would be deployed to disorient the subject for one to, to five seconds depending on the size of the space. Um, and it would allow an opportunity for uh, a SWAT team or a special, op a special response team member in order to either change their position or make entry into a room um, while the subject is disoriented so we could essentially have the element of surprise. Uh, as Supervisor Downing saying, most of your usage is, is the, um, the, the drones, it looked like. That is correct. So, and less so these others. Um, I, I will just... Um, comment that, uh, I know we're going to hear this in public comment, but it, it is striking to me that for some members of our public, these devices do help protect public safety and civil rights and all that, and for other portions of our, um, uh, of our public, they, they uh, don't make them feel safer. Uh, and, and so that is just striking to me, and it's, I suppose that's a comment more than a question, but I, I'm trying to figure that out. Is it, wh why is that? And so with that, I'm gonna open now to public comment. I know there are people here in the chambers and I know there are people online. So if we could go to those in the chambers, if you wouldn't mind lining up so I would get a sense of who's in the room that would like to speak and then we'll go online. Thank you. Okay, please go ahead. Thank you. Uh, for such an important topic, I think you should expand back to three minutes instead of curtailing it to. I wanna point out that this presentation is being made one day after 9-11 um, since the war on terror, we've seen an increasing militarization of uh, law enforcement agencies in the United States, um, and there's a connection, obviously. Um, this, this relationship has been described by historian Mike Davis in City of Quartz with regard to the so-called war on drugs and the militarization of LAPD. Um, Jonathan Katz uh, has an interesting book called Gangsters of Capitalism that talks about that a little bit too. Um, 
I want to note that you're going to hear from a lot of upset white liberals um, uh, about this, but we just sent depleted uranium to, to the Ukraine. Um, in 2003, we dropped uh, 1,000 to 2,000 tons of depleted uranium on Iraq. Um, what we do abroad comes home, and that should not be forgotten. Uh, in addition to the depleted uranium, we also sent cluster munitions. This is going to have adverse effects on everyone in that region. Um, as, for, uh, as for how this equipment will be used in Marin County, uh, the case of Paul Ray Smith is instructive. Um, there was a Marin County Sheriff SWAT raid on Paul Ray Smith on Good Friday 2021. And because Paul Ray Smith was considered, quote, white trash, unquote, uh, I will point out that very few uh, liberals gave a shit, <laughs> excuse my French, uh, about what happened to him. Well, I want to explain what was used against this uh, mentally ill 53-year-old anchor out. Uh, a crisis negotiation team, a special response team, two local fire department jet skis, two armored MCSO boats, a Coast Guard boat, two mobile command centers, a canine unit from Nevada with its own SUV, at least one ambulance and one fire truck, an armored Humvee, comically ill-suited for a raid conducted on a sailboat, two drones which hovered over the occupied boat Can like giant up, mechanical please? dragonflies, a large but unspecified number of law enforcement personnel from various agencies, flashbangs, multiple canisters of baffled CS smoke, multiple canisters of 1.33% okay. capsinicide spray, beanbag bullets, a fireboat, a helicopter of so Ava, far unspecified we're, we're agency, possibly Coast Guard, and best of all, the sheriff's own gleaming bisque-colored portable toilet stations, which were pulled on a wheeled yes. chassis Thank by you. a truck a like time. the least Ava, love float in a Texas homecoming parade. That's up. in the Anderson Valley Advertiser, and I yes, think the- you've said this to us before. Next, please. Hi, Tammy Edmondson from MV Free. Um, we've detailed our legal and public safety objections to the sheriff's military arsenal in our memorandum to the board, and I really appreciate you guys all considering that. I want to acknowledge that this is uh, this new law places a kind of heavy burden on you to implement this fairly complicated statutory scheme, but at its core, AB 481 boils down to one central rule that the board is obligated to enforce. The sheriff's office may not keep or use any item of military equipment unless it demonstrates and the board expressly finds that the specific item is, quote, necessary because there is no reasonable alternative that can achieve the same objective of officer and civilian safety. And I noticed that the uh, sheriff's representatives are talking about what other agencies have and I just want to highlight the fact that this is a new law so the fact that other agencies have uh, other organizations have not figured out yet that their equipment is unnecessary should not be a precedent for this group both this year and last the sheriff has offered the conclusory assertion that all of its military equipment is necessary but the sheriff has offered no evidence to support this claim in connection with any item in its military arsenal instead they've listed the hundreds of items with no meaningful descriptions of their capabilities or intended uses and asked the board to issue a wholesale authorization for all of it the MCSO has failed to explain why Marin, with its fourth, fourth lowest rate of violent crime in the state, might need such an arsenal, much less, or any item within it. 
Um, nor have they provided any information regarding the non-military weapons and equipment at its disposal, nor demonstrated why those might be insufficient to meet our community safety needs. The MCSO proposal turns military equipment into weapons of first resort. Contrary to what was represented, many items are not restricted to the Sheriff's Special Operations Team. The AR-15s, the uh, many of the machine guns, AR-15s, by the way, are standard issue patrol rifles. Um, those can be used at any time by any deputy at his or her discretion. This is not consistent with the requirements of AB 481. I need you to wrap up, please. Thank you. Next, please. Hello again. My name is Ed Rusky. I'm from Mill Valley. I live in Mill Valley. Um, I confess I'm a white liberal. Uh, I'd like to say first is I'm not going to address the weapons at all. That's not my concern today. But my concern is public safety. Uh, if I turn to the first paragraph of the uh, of 481, on the first eight lines, the reference to public safety and welfare and risk to public safety and welfare and risk to civil liberties, psychological and physical well-being is mentioned eight times in eight eight sentences, eight lines. Um, the third slide that was shown has the, the AB 41 provides safeguards to protect public welfare, safety, civil rights, and liberties. Uh, in pursuant to that, the sheriff is supposed to come up with a public, uh, a military use policy. Uh, that includes the purposes and authorized uses for which the law enforcement agency proposes to use it, I, I submit that includes what they're not going to do. And then the legal and procedural rules that govern the use and training, including any course required by the Commission on Peace Officer Standards and the mechanism of compliance. Uh, the proposed military equipment use policy will safeguard the public's welfare, safety, civil rights, and civil liberties is a finding that the sheriff himself asked you to find uh, to uh, continue the use policy. But then, when I turn to the policy 706 on the website, uh, this whole thing about policy, two lines. It is the policy of the Marin County Sheriff's Office that members of this department comply with the provisions of Government Code 7071 with respect to military equipment. End of story. No mention of what kind of training they're getting, what the, what the use these things are going to be put to, and what they shouldn't be to be used. One last point, the flashbang thing. Uh, yeah, they're telling you wh why it's used. Why shouldn't it be used, and why it should be very carefully avoided, is that they can cause permanent deafness. In their training, they use less decibels. Why? Because it's too darn loud. Uh, safety you. is required. The public's welfare is what is the whole point. In my opinion, they are violating not only the letter, but the okay. sincere spirit of the law. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go online, please. Okay. Uh, first up, we have Clayton Smith. Please unmute yourself. 
Well, Mike, I have uh, one major concern, which is the use of drone technology. Uh, first off, the uh, privacy issues that it um, it has that are associated with it. Uh, you can be buzzing around photographing people unbeknownst to them in their backyards, through their windows. Uh, perhaps even there's technology now that can listen through their walls and uh, unbeknownst to them, uh, you could be recording their conversations. And all this is very much in violation of our rights to privacy as embedded in the Bill of Rights, which is actually the most sacred of all the things in our government governing documents of the Constitution and whatnot. The other thing about the use of drones is drones are not just uh, able to do observational services. As we've seen in the uh, recent war in the Ukraine, they can be weaponized very effectively. In fact, they're being used to actually destroy uh, tanks uh, in uh, the Donbass right now. And so uh, this, can, this is a slippery slope. And I would like to uh, hope that the Board of Supervisors would agendize um, the use of these drones so that we could have a deep look and, as Eva pointed out, some genuine public comment on the role of drones in the future of law enforcement in this county. This is a, a, a new venture. And I think uh, as we uh, venture forward in this, we should have a little more discovery, a little more information, a little more public input. And um, I think that would be helpful to maintain some confidence in your services. Thank you. And Madam President, there are no other speakers in the queue. Uh, that is surprising. Okay, we'll bring it back to the board for some deliberation. Uh, is there someone who'd like to start off? I can start. I was actually going to make, make a motion, but I'll go ahead and just start. You want comments? All right. Um, I want to thank uh, our sheriff and the team for bringing this forward. Uh, I know this is a, a sensitive issue uh, within the community, um, but I, I really appreciate the report that you brought forward, the list of the equipment, uh, how it's been used. Um, we see majority of it is all, all drones. Um, but that sensitivity is still there. Um, coming from a larger city, um, the city of Novato, uh, and gone, gone through the same thing there, um, I think it's important that a lot of the use of this equipment is being done through a mutual support uh, through cities and towns. And uh, I know there might be an interest in reducing the list or taking items off the list, but that also has impacts for all of our cities and towns uh, that might result with you know, other police departments having to add items to their list if that equipment is not uh, available uh, somewhere in the county uh, when, when it's needed. And uh, you know, knock on wood, hope that it never is. Um, so I, I think the list that we have here is adequate. Uh, I do understand the sensitivity around it, but um, I think it's important that um, you know, we're, we uh, are prepared for situations that we hope we never need to be in, um, but that it's there and it's available, um, not just for our own sheriff's uh, department, uh, but for other agencies throughout the uh, cities and towns uh, here in Marin. So um, I'm proposed, or I'm, I'm ready to uh, make a motion when the time comes, uh, but I wanna thank you for the report. Um, and all of the extra training uh, and education you do with your office to make sure they're properly uh, equipped to use the equipment um, if that uh, case should arise. Thank you. 
Yeah, I, I have an additional question and then um, some comments. And so if there's new purchases um, or replacement purchases, how does that come back to our board? I'm also looking at Matthew. Does that come back on consent or would that be an agenda item? Well, we, we would always prefer consent, but I'm sure it would be an agenda item. Yeah, that's a decision of your board as to whether it's on consent or on an agenda item, and probably would get to the, the specifics of the proposed purchase, too. Okay. I guess it would be my preference that it would come back as an agenda item so that we can look at any new um, issues as they come up. So... Um, as far as the deliberations, I will confess that this is out of my comfort zone, the militarization kind of of, of uh, the police and community is concerning to me. Um, and uh, that is why I've taken the opportunity to, you know, do a ride along to further understand what happens in, you know, your day-to-day -day work in protecting our community. Um, and being able to see the equipment. And I think most importantly, this list of the deployments of, uh, um, I think is, is illuminating to show to me what, um, how things are being used, how frequently and in what circumstances. Um, I am concerned about the privacy of drone footage if it's, you know, over-encompassing or used for other reasons. But to me, that seems like a really safe tool to protect deputies um, that doesn't, you know, doesn't have the same mechanism to do injury and harms as some of the other um, tools. Um, I really am looking at you know, what is the intent of AB 481 and the spirit of transparency, accountability, and oversight? And seeing this presentation and kind of doing some of these other things, I'm comfortable at this moment with the, um, how things have been used and just, you know, I'm glad to see that, that, that the spirit seems to be followed as well and hope that we continue to see that in future years. I'd also say as far as the outreach, um, next year when this comes up, let us also help you with that. I just happened to see it on social media to attend that open house, but I think we can do a better job together to help with that outreach um, because I really do think it is helpful for skeptics and supporters to frankly see what it is on the ground um, and, and how these tools are used and to hear, you know, um, all the deputies talked talk about the amount of training that they have in this. I mean, that was really illuminative to hear. Hey, this we use this to train. We drive this Bearcat out to training so that when an incident happens, somebody's not jumping into it for the first time um, and adding that newness to it. So, um, thank you for the presentation. Uh, thank you, uh, Supervisor Adoni. Yeah. <clears throat> Again, um, when you have an opportunity, if I could have 20 seconds more. Oh, I'm sorry. We've, we've closed public comment. Yeah, I'm sorry. Please. Uh, again, thank you both for the presentation. I think uh, Assembly Bill 481 is still being um, understood. It's fairly new to all of us. Um, this is, I think, the second time that we've been here. Um, but I think... For me, having something and using it, a 
two different things. And I appreciate the examples that you put forth because it really explains it's a much broader use than I had originally thought, especially around um, you know rescues and things like that. Uh, particularly saw the, the kayaker missing in Tomales Bay and those kind of uses and a couple parks uses that were really about protecting people that may have been lost or looking for family members. So I, I'm getting a better understanding as we move forward and I appreciate the examples and uh, I believe those are all, all the uses, which is even more transparent. And so at this point, I'm really comfortable with what you have and how you're using it and trust that you will watch this really closely and knowing the concerns that the community has and make good choices about how they're used. But again, I, just to repeat, I think having and using are really two different things for me. And I think it's important to distinguish that um, you know, probably military is, to me, a little bit over overboard when, when it's classified as this. You know, given the amount of military equipment we have in this country, um, you know, I think um, there's, there's a distinction here to the type of equipment that you have. I think that, that distinguishes between the true military equipment that we see across the rest of this country. Um, that's a bigger issue for me, a uh, personal issue for me, including the amount of money that we spent on the military, but that's, another, that's for another day. So today I'm comfortable with this and we'll second this if uh, you need a second. Okay, thank you. <coughs> Supervisor Wright. Yeah, thank you. Um, I also appreciate the presentation and um, the, just the, the evolution of these presentations in terms of giving us more information and more detail about not just the equipment that um, the office has, but also how it's being used. Um, I, I think I would just align myself with all the comments, frankly, that have been made. I just, I think I wanna emphasize, and, and maybe this is for next, the next presentation next year, how um, the degree to which you can even illuminate further the people side of this and the training side of, um, of the, the department's work in relationship to the equipment. Uh, 4D1 addresses the equipment and, and training to an aspect, but it's really um, how, how the protocols for how equipment is used and the people behind them that really are gonna make the difference out in the community. And I think the more transparency, we, the more information we can provide in a public venue about the training about uh, protocols, um, I would like to understand better. You know, you know what what measures the response in terms of what gets triggered to be deployed to a situation and the why. I am concerned um, about over response, and this is you know with regards to both equipment on the scene and or people and the degree to which. Um, and I'm thinking about in mental health cases. Um, or crisis cases, can an over-response exacerbate a situation? And I know that there's training that you are, your officers are doing, training in that regard as well, but oftentimes, as with this report shows, we're just responding with equipment and not necessarily the lead agency. So I think just generally, uh, from the public's point of view, I, I, have, I really appreciate that this bill allows us to see what a department has um, and provide some sort of oversight that way. 
but the more um, that we can as policymakers and I think as the public have confidence in the training and the protocols behind how our law enforcement responds to situations, I think the better. Um, and I, I do have respect for the department and for the work you're doing, but um, I guess th those, are, those are my comments. This is really as much about the people and the protocols as it is about the equipment, in my view. Thank you. Um, so I, I want to thank you also for a very clear presentation. And I, and I also want to say I was contacted by a number of constituents in Southern Marin. And uh, uh, including, you know, I have a community called Marin City for whom this military equipment is a problem when it shows up in their community. And, uh, and I'm talking about to the law-abiding uh, citizens there. Uh, uh, there was a workshop last night that MB Free put on that I watched. And, and so all of this is to say that uh, while I realize that what happens at some hearings like this is that a multitude of issues uh, get raised, like racial profiling that came up last night and like people's reaction to the use of force uh, in their communities. And um, that isn't what this particular issue is about today, but they really are all related. And so I want to encourage my colleagues to think a little more broadly about this and, and the collection of issues because, um, look, we're, we're diving into equity and what we can do to further equity and inclusion in our counties. For, for my part, I, I would like to see this issue remanded to a board subcommittee, frankly, for further. It's the, it's the missing piece for me that it's rare that an issue this complex with this many related parts comes directly to the board without a board subcommittee having vetted it and, and really walked through it closely. And, and that's what I'm missing on this. Uh, and so I would, I would challenge my board uh, colleagues to consider that this time, uh, to remand it. And if we don't do it this time, then I think I'd like us to do it next time. Because I think we do need more engagement. I think we need bo more board ownership of this decision. Uh, and uh, it is true, I, I agree, Supervisor Adoni, that having the equipment is different than using it. And clearly, we're using uh, very little of it at, at, uh, at this time. But I, I do think there's these ancillary issues about how this equipment and its presence is impacting our community of colors that I, 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 I don't think have been resolved here today. And that is concerning for me. So um, I'm gonna um, request that it be remanded to a board subcommittee that gets formed. Uh, and I'll just see if there's, uh, uh, that would be my, um, my revised motion <laughs> to not accept it today, uh, but to take it back to a board committee. wanted to check with council if there's a timing issue when this needs to be passed. And uh, uh, Supervisor Rodoni, we're, we're required to hold this hearing annually, um, so it does need to occur in 2023. So, uh, President Molten-Pierce, I think you'd suggest either Rather, you suggesting not take action now and have a board subcommittee, or potentially take action now and uh, have a board subcommittee look at this when it comes around next year. My my preference would be to hold it in advance, table it, and have a board subcommittee just talk through it with the sheriff and his staff more clearly. Uh, so that's my preference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I I really respect that. I, I think given that we've already had the presentation, um, and we we could 
call a timeout and still go back and do that. I, I think the presentation probably would have, in, in a perfect world, have been to have the board subcommittee in advance because maybe there would have been things that were included in the presentation that we could have um, presented or daylighted for the first time. So it is a little bit of a go back. So I, my preference would be to adopt it and then maybe set the stage for next year. Um, but I'm open to suggestions from the rest of the board. I think I would prefer that given that some of this stuff takes quite a, quite a bit of time and quite a bit of engagement. Um, I would prefer uh, moving forward today and then uh, directing uh, the board or the next president to make sure that the subcommittee next year to work with the sheriff's office to, uh, to work on the, um, the, uh, the, the whole process around having the open house to help us be engaged in that and then also work on the report. I think that would be something that might be more acceptable in terms of staffing. Yeah, and I think I'm, I'm in agreement with Supervisors Bradoni and Lucan, and I actually think that you, um, Super, our President Mullen Peters, spoke to it. it AB 481 brings up a host of issues that are almost beyond um, its prescriptive application, in my view. And what I'm thinking, when I when you when you first mentioned subject, I was thinking that perhaps you were um, contemplating what other issues does it raise that, frankly, maybe get aired in a different hearing or uh, um, in a different action associated with 481 or not associated with it. So I uh, and I would be open to that, um, you know, exploration and because it does tee up a lot of issues and, frankly, opportunities for um, our board and for the department and for the public to talk about some of those broader issues. But I think um, that goes even beyond 481. And so I would be, um, I would be more inclined to um, move forward with an action today and, and for that subcommittee and, and actually see what, what you'd like to explore as part of that. I would concur with Supervisor Moulton-Peters on remanding this, and not because I don't think that we've met the spirit of 481 here, but because I know that there's tangential issues that are very important with this topic that aren't explored, and frankly, you know, as I expressed, I'm uncomfortable in that I don't know what I don't know, um, and I don't know how other communities and people are frankly impacted. And while I appreciate that we could have another opportunity to bring it forward in another format, not knowing what that other format is and how we would do it, I would concur with, with going to a subcommittee first and giving a little more work on that. So I'm gonna go ahead and just ma make the motion that we go ahead and move forward and adopt the, the resolution renewing the related ordinance uh, with with the option or exploration in the future to um, form a subcommittee, um, you know that that looks at the broader picture. To me, it's I'll, I'll make that the motion and my comment around that is I really think there's two different issues here. Uh, this is an annual thing that we need to do in compliance with 481, um, but there's a whole other host of issues that it's you know it brings up. Um, I don't think that the formation of this subcommittee in time would give us the amount uh, of time we really need to revisit it to talk about it to maybe unearth uh, you know, maybe these larger issues, um, but still have to do this annual compliance thing. So with that, I would um, move forward with that as my motion. And just a question, Eric, would you, uh, the, the subcommittee, however it's formed, would you have it also, though, look at this in, in prior to next year's adoption? 
I, I would defer to you on that one, uh, or you know, current board president at the time to determine what's the, the best way forward with that. So I don't, I don't want to uh, prescribe that in the motion because I, I want to respect you know, your, your thoughts and wishes on how that might be formed or the current board president at the time. Okay, can I add something there just real quickly? And I'm not, and maybe council can offer this. We will have um, our 1185 committee commission, I'm forgetting the language, also standing up, though I don't know if they'll be able to take that this up that soon. But again, there is another body that potentially could be looking at that the, the general issue in the future. Just reminding you. Yes, I'll second uh, Supervisor Lucan's motion. Motion to approve uh, with the proviso for the subcommittee to look at this issue and others in the future. And I'm going to ask all in favor. Aye. Aye. Uh, and all opposed? No. No. Yeah. Okay, so that carries 3-2 uh, to, to accept the inventory. So thank you, everyone. Okay, we'll move now to item number eight, this, the request from the county administrator for board adoption of the response to the grand jury report, build more ADUs. And we have Sarah Jones, our CDA director here. Yes, uh, good morning, supervisors. And I'll just kick, kick it off and then turn it over to Sarah. Uh, you know, overall, I think we certainly share the overall goal of the grand jury around expanding affordable options in Marin. We do, however, may not agree with the precise uh, recommendations that they put out in their report and so that's why we have Sarah Jones here to give you some details of our response and answer any questions you may have. Uh, yeah, thank you Matthew and uh, we uh, appreciated the chance to weigh in and um, contribute to the recommendation for the response from the county on this civil grand jury report. Uh, uh, the civil grand jury, uh, the report really captured that ADUs can fill some important housing gaps that we have in the county, and their recommendations really uh, felt like they were focused on one aspect of, uh, of the issue, which is identifying ways that Marin government entities could remove barriers and costs for those who are seeking to add or legalize ADUs so as to augment affordable housing supply. And as Matthew mentioned, we share the civil grand jury's view that such steps are needed. Uh, and in fact, uh, for the last few years, have been taking a lot of steps to, uh, to implement or advance ADUs in a whole variety of ways. And so for that reason, uh, and because of the directions that we've already uh, invested in, uh, we didn't fully align with the specifics of the recommendations. We've been working through strategies, we've learned a lot, and we have somewhat different approaches for reaching the same outcomes. Uh, one of those examples is that uh, we are working uh, pretty rigorously towards joining the Napa Sonoma ADU Center, and uh, that is captured in the report, but um, uh, that is a step that would actually pick up on several of the recommendations. That would be a way that we would provide people with the information on fees, with pre-approved plans, with guidance on financing, and with some of the other needs that were highlighted in the report. Um, that is something that we are exploring through the Housing Working Group, which is 
a, a collaboration of community development departments from all of the municipalities in Marin, so it's not specific to the unincorporated county or our department. Um, we have been working on uh, identifying the funding and securing that and plan to bring that to your board in the next few months. So this step would serve the recommendations uh, or the purposes of recommendation one for information, recommendation three for assistance and support, and recommendation six for tools such as pre-approved plans. Um, another step that we've taken is we've made a, a lot of staffing changes in CDA, some pretty significant ones over recent months that your board is aware of. Uh, we've created a new principal planner level role supporting specifically around supporting housing development and uh, we have also uh, put into place a permit ombudsperson who is going to be focusing on uh, dealing with improvements to permit processes across the board and, you know, potentially if the need exists, really focusing on certain types such as ADUs. Um, another area that the report deals with is process matters such as amnesty for legalizing ADUs and setting a 30-day review for building permits. Um, as I have already mentioned, we are supportive of and continually seeking process improvements. We did feel that the specific changes that were recommended uh, would not fit with our fit entirely with our responsibilities to ensure health and safety in our permitting. Um, another area of focus was the fees, and that was specifically around connection fees uh, for various utilities, um, this and uh, other services. This is especially, of course, about the special districts. Uh, it is something that we are continuing to supplore, uh, to um, explore, excuse me, but uh, you know, the, the fact is that there are, of course, a number of entities in this county uh, that need to fund services to residents, and uh, the report didn't get to the place of you know, getting into uh, something beyond the scope, which is how do, how do you support those services without the fees? So uh, in CDA, we look forward to continuing to work with your board around this issue. Um, and I know that it's something that, uh, that we're gonna need to dive into on this. Uh, I do wanna note though that of course, ADU costs um, are significant for construction and uh, would be so regardless of these fees. Uh, that is also an area that um, was beyond the scope of this grand jury report. So uh, one thing to note, there's a number of recent state laws, such as AB 1332 going through the legislature now, which would require pre-approved plans for ADUs, and AB 2234 passed in the last session um, regarding permit timelines for uh, all housing. So we'll be implementing, uh, of course, those state laws. So some of the changes that are recommended by the civil grand jury are gonna come about through other paths uh, instead. Uh, one thing that I do want to highlight, your board authorized a pilot project uh, providing technical assistance for ADU applicants. Uh, we have implemented that project and found that there was significant is initial interest in the offering. Um, but when people learn more about what it takes to put in an ADU, many of them chose not to pursue it. 
I think that this is valuable in and of itself to understand how important it is that people know what they're getting into at the front end and they're not bringing us applications that are then taking a lot of time to work through and ultimately resulting in um, you know, a, an unsuccessful outcome for people. So just in closing, there are some significant issues around ADUs in the county uh, that we experience on our side. Um, a big one is infrastructure, particularly septic capacity, uh, the cost of construction, as I mentioned. And then uh, finally, uh, one thing that we really struggle with is that it is not really practical or feasible, particularly at this time, to ensure that ADUs are rented affordably um, or even used as housing at all. Um, so uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, though, we do feel ADUs fill some very important needs, um, such as an income source for property owners uh, or providing for multi-generational households or family care needs. Um, so this is something that we really want to uh, continue to find ways to advance and pursue, especially with the needs of our county's population. Um, there are significant hurdles, however, beyond the scope of the civil grand jury recommendations for ADUs um, for them to really serve as a reliable or significant solution for supply and affordability issues on housing. Um, with that, I'm happy to take any questions and uh, interested in your feedback. Thank you for the report, Sarah. Are there questions for Sarah? Please, Karen. Thank you, Sarah. So um, do we have any tools to check on whether or not ADUs are used for housing and or are affordable aside from a deed restriction? Uh, so I was going to mention that our tool is a deed restriction. Okay. Uh, we don't, uh, you know, it, it's not something that we have really effective ways to track. Uh, you know, through a rental registry, we could do so if um, if somebody is engaged in that. But uh, we do not have uh, legally enforceable mechanisms. For example, at the time that we're issuing permits, uh, to sort of keep that keep track of uh, of that matter. Okay, um, and that kind of brings me to my second point about the pilot. Um, do, do you have any metrics you can share of how many applicants we had, how many people went all the way through, and in that pilot, did we, was there any requirement that in order to get that technical assistance that it would be used for housing? Uh, Yes, thank you for that question, Supervisor Sackett. So we initiated the pilot on February 1st of this year. And uh, between, uh, in, in those initial two months, we actually, Hello Housing, which is the, uh, the nonprofit that was pr providing the support, um, they received 123 applications from interested homeowners throughout the unincorporated area. Um, that was a five-fold increase over what the level of interest we uh, thought would exist and actually had to close down uh, the applications. They sort of worked through, and over time, that group winnowed down to... Um, uh, we have received and approved four applications through this program, uh, which isn't to say that, um, that there won't be interest in the future. They're currently in contract with seven more. 
And then we've also had uh, provided assistance to 21 homeowners um, who attended workshops, chose to pursue an ADU, but didn't go through that program. I, on your question about uh, how the program is ensuring that these ADUs are used as housing, I, I'm gonna need to get back to you on that. Yeah, thanks, Sarah, for the presentation. Um, I wanted to just talk a little bit about R2, the amnesty program. You know, I, you know that I believe there's some value in am amnesty programs. It, and I'm wondering by saying that it will not be implemented because it's not warranted or reasonable, what, what does that really mean to us in the future? I guess is what I'm worried about. I, I, so I think that the, um, the, you know, the very specific recommendation was something that uh, we had put into place uh, in the past, sort of when, when ADUs became something that we, you know, really pivoted around from wanting to, you know, make sure that there wasn't additional housing being added where it shouldn't to really taking a 180 and trying to encourage it. And uh, we had a lot of unpermitted ADUs and had an amnesty program to support the ability of people to legalize those and um, bring them up to the necessary health and safety standards. Since that time, there have been a lot of, uh, there have been sort of incremental, you know, really on an annual basis changes in state law that have opened up uh, the requirements for uh, for us to approve ADUs. Uh, in, you know, there, there are a lot of situations now where you can get something approved as an ADU that you would not be able to have approved in any other way. So the, the purposes of the amnesty program uh, as we did it in the past and as captured in the grand jury report, really feel like they're covered by state law. Um, the other aspects of, uh, you know, so we're now at a place where the codes that we're putting into place on ADUs really are about health and safety. And those are measures that, um, you know, we, we don't immediately uh, have um, the comfort on pulling back around those, we are working towards ways to, um, to, you know, really kind of bring in line, for example, our septic needs with a desire to uh, advance the ability for people to have ADUs. I would anticipate that as we bring changes online in our requirements and, you know, find those paths to do it, we could then, uh, you know, S set up a way for people who have existing unpermitted situations to take advantage of those changes. <coughs> so if I'm interpreting what you're saying, new state laws around ADUs would apply to people trying to legalize their illegal ADU, essentially. Yeah, I mean, just to get specific, so if the, if the state law says, uh, you know, you don't need, you can only apply, you know, certain uh, minimum setbacks or requirements around parking, et cetera, once the state law has come in that says this is what you can require, then, um, 
you know, that barrier to legalizing an ADU that is sitting in that setback or that is, um, you know, doesn't have as many parking spaces as our code would otherwise require, uh, those barriers go away. So uh, it's kind of, you, you don't have a, you don't have that same sort of unpermitted un illegal situation <coughs> at that time. And you don't have, more importantly, that very high cost of getting into a code compliant situation. Thank you. Yeah, I, I just was uncertain that that clarity was there in the law, so thank you. Yeah, thank you, Sarah. Just a quick follow-up. Um, on, the, on the Hello Housing, the uh, technical assistance, um, I would love to have the sliced and diced information, what, what we're gleaning from the pool of applicants that are coming in and the decisions they're making, whether or not to go on with our program or separately or abandon altogether um, development of an ADU or JDU. And specifically, I'm interested in differentiating between uh, JDUs and ADUs. I think they're very different animals in terms of cost uh, and maybe complexity of development. I'm not sure, but I'm uh, surmising that. Um, I'm also, I, I think that um, I feel like our projections or our, uh, the, the, the concept that ADUs are going to be the silver bullet is, um, is, a, is over, over idealistic um, just because of the complexity of developing ADUs. And I mean the standalone. I mean, it's like building a new house to some degree, maybe, maybe a little simpler. But so I think that the general public as maybe a property owner, you may think that going into something that's going to be a um, simpler proposition than it actually is. I think JDUs um, potentially, though, have more applicability. And so I'm just going to want to glean to what degree we should be pushing one or the other going forward. And I think the utility of the JDUs is even, um, in terms of a property use going forward, is is so much more flexible, especially towards the um, uh, you know, extended family, multifamily, multi-generational sort of use and or caregiver. Um, so I'm just, I'm curious about that aspect. I appreciate the responses and, and also the grand jury's report and do think that as a county we should be investing in how we can support the development of ADUs and JDUs, um, but be practical as we um, make that effort. Can I... Respond and expand a little bit on the the issue of the complexity of constructing them. I, I you know, as uh, things have sort of moved in this direction and been uh, put into place under state law, you know, sort of this notion that uh, things like pre-approved plans are are going to make a big difference um, is is one that I frankly we struggle with a little bit. I. You know, I think in in some situations, having that off-the-shelf kind of solution is really useful, and that might apply in some parts of the unincorporated county as well. But uh, you know, on the flip side, we have a lot of complex site situations um, on unincorporated properties, and I I do have a little bit of a concern that. You know, relying on pre-approved plans as a view that this is this is going to be helpful, I think might uh, you know backfire a bit in terms of people's uh, impression of the ease of doing this. We you know when when we get these permits in and we're looking at how this works on a site and uh, how you fit in your septic system, it is uh, you know it 
th those are the kinds of issues that arise and that uh, you know don't don't go away with um, with some of the solutions we have. Uh, we are finishing up the pilot at the end of this month, and we will be getting a final report, and we can add, you know sort of give you some of that uh, that information that you're thinking about from that and then dig farther into that AD versus JG question. Great, and let me just go, uh, thank you, good report. I'm gonna ask for public comment. I'm not seeing anyone in the chamber. Uh, you want any comment on this, anybody online? Yes, we have uh, Clayton Smith. Can you please unmute yourself? Yeah, I wanted to uh, address the issue of parking with regard to ADUs, and this is in particular regard to very narrow streets in Southern Marin, in these little canyons and valleys that uh, many of the people live in. And there's a great concern in this community down here, particularly in El Monte and Homestead and up in the canyons, uh, that there is already such difficulty in the narrowness of these roads in terms of evacuation in case of emergency, that allowing for these ADUs to be uh, widely distributed in these neighborhoods without parking requirements so that these the cars, the parking would be off the road so that emergency vehicles could have access to these narrow roads into these canyons. And also that people have we had something like happen in Lahaina or Paradise, which appear to be more frequently occurring. Uh, there would be the opportunity people could get out of their neighborhoods alive. So when you're talking about the ADUs, I think we need to pay some special regard to the parking issues that arise from uh, building them here in these small lots in these narrow canyons. Thanks. Madam President, there are no other speakers in the queue. Thank you. We'll bring it back, and I'll go to Supervisor Lucan for comments. Just a couple quick ones. Uh, uh, first off, I really want to commend and thank the grand jury, because I, I think this is a, a great topic to look at, to explore. Uh, I think they got uh, a lot of things uh, really right with this report uh, with regards to ADUs. Um, but they also brought up something that's not specific to ADUs, it's just specific to building in general in Marin, is all of the different agencies, districts, special districts, permitting agencies you have to go through to build something. Um, and it is uh, difficult, whether it's an ADU, a house, uh, a anything. Um, so I kind of vacillated a lot in our response, um, thinking we'll do, is this our opportunity to say, yes, it should be one way or another, but and, you know, every, every jurisdiction has their elected boards uh, and they'll, they're formulating their own responses. Uh, with regards to fees, I do think there's a lot of work that needs to be done countywide because there are significant discrepancies. Uh, and speaking specifically from District 5, where we have a sanitary district, a water district, um, the fees for an ADU um, with all of those different districts are, are north of $25,000 just for fees, and they could be much lower in other parts of the county. Some school districts charge facility fees, some school districts don't. So going back and forth, I, I don't think it's the role of the county to, to opine on that in our grand jury response, but I just wanted to at least publicly stated in my verbal comments that there's a lot of work that needs to be done there, um, you know, probably statewide, and maybe it would take additional legislation to really bring some um, simplicity with the fees, uh, not for all ADUs, but for the ones that the, 
the state has exempted as these smaller ADUs under 750 square feet that meet a, a very specific criteria, uh, you know, I, I, there could be a more simpler process. Um, uh, so I want to just uh, commend their finding along those lines. Uh, the second one, just as a comment with regards to uh, finding F6, most marine jurisdictions jurisdictions could provide better resources offering or identifying financing incentives for ADU development. Our response is we agree. Um, I think there might be an opportunity here in the future. Um, financing is key. Um, and one, when all of the state laws started to change, uh, interest rates were at absolute record lows. So people could finance these ADUs with a, a lot of people were using uh, HELOCs at 4%. Um, but it's now at you know nine nine and a half percent. So that's really changed the ADU landscape of, of what it would cost to build one of these. I see there could be an opportunity with the Bay Area Housing Finance Authority's measure should that move forward and should it pass. Uh, I could see a program we look at where maybe count the county does step in and provide some sort of financing structure using those funds, but with the caveat that the ADU be deed restricted. Um, assuming if, if interest rates are still, you know, at, at the levels they are for the next several years, that might be a way to spur some ADU development and ensure it's deed restricted. So just kind of planting that seed for the future. There's a lot of ifs with that BAPA measure, but there, there might be an opportunity there for uh, county to play. Um, so those are my comments on the report. Yeah, thank you, um, Supervisor Lucan, for all those points. I, I agree with you. Um, I do appreciate the grand jury bringing forward this report um, because I think oftentimes the county gets blamed for the complexity of permitting an ADU when it or the cost when it's not all within our hands. It's within the other districts. And I think it's, you know, really, I appreciate that this report brings that to light and shows and with each of the districts having to respond kind of shows the cumulative impact um, that, that really is preventing um, this going forward. I appreciate, Sarah, your you know efforts recently on staffing um, because I think we had been hearing a lot of complaints of people starting down the pathway and then sort of learning about these fees when they've already you know done a ton of work. And even though those fees may not be ours to charge, just giving people that information up front when they're making the initial decisions is super important to their um, sense of whether or not we're doing our job and, um, and whether or not you know, we're, we're providing them with service. When they get kind of unexpected fees three-fourths of the way into a project, no matter whose fees they are, they get upset at all of us. Um, and I, I appreciate that this pilot's about to wrap up. I look forward to seeing that data. And in particular, if this joining another ADU um, registry kind of assistance program comes to light, um, it'd be great to have those at the same time and really look at how, you know, what's the sort of upfront information to give people with, it doesn't require a lot of technical assistance, but gives that you know, here are all the here are all the agencies you need to check with to see your fees, and here are examples, and then also here's the really detailed technical analysis, um, and then also whether or not, um, to Supervisor Lucan's point, whether or not we're going to give any guidance or even parameters around ways to finance. Um, I think could it would be a great package to see t 
if we are, you know, given the choice to approve joining another ADU conglomerate. Thanks. Supervisor Radoni and then Rice. Yeah, again, um, appreciate the grand jury recognizing that there is some importance to ADUs and the role they may play in the future. I think, I think for me, it's, it's important for the county if we're going to embrace ADUs that we totally understand what the barriers are that we're, we have in our system. Because from saying health and safety, uh, it's really important, but also then you look at our code, sometimes there's not great alignment between those two. And, and I think that if we're seriously looking at ADUs as a source of, of housing uh, for our housing element, then we have to figure out ways to continue to reduce those barriers for them to be built. Um, so I'm just going to stop there. Okay, I would uh, just join my colleagues in thanking the grand jury. I think it's great to put a spotlight on this. I think uh, from all that our CDA director has told us, we are putting focus and attention on this and should get to that specificity. And I agree, I think we need it. And then we'll know how to best use this form of housing to meet some of our housing needs. So uh, with that, I would entertain a motion to um, concur and adopt the attached proposed response. Did you say? I'll move, make the motion. Thank you. Is there a second? Second. second. Okay. Supervisor Sanders had that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, motion by uh, Rice and second by Sackett. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay. Thank you very much. We will move now to appointments. Item number nine. Our first one is the Disaster and Citizen Corps Council. We have five vacancies due to term expirations and five applications were received from incumbents. Yeah, I'd like to move that we appoint all, reappoint all the incumbents. Motion, is there a second? Second. Okay, thank you. I'll call for public comment on this appointment. Not seeing any in the chambers. Is there anyone online? Okay, we'll bring it back. And uh, we have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, very good. Next one is the flood control zone three. Uh, and this is the appointment of Potter Wickware to the flood control zone. I'll move on your behalf. Thank you, thank you both. Is there any public comment on this appointment? I'm waiting for Women's Commission, that's coming up, right? Right, okay. So none in the chambers, anybody online? There are no speakers in the queue. Okay, thank you. We have a motion Radoni, a second by Rice. All in favor? Aye. Aye. All right, uh, the first five commission, we have one term expiration uh, and the incumbent has applied I'll for move appointment. I'll move appointment of Sandra Rosenblum. Second. Okay, is there any public comment on this? I see no one in the chambers on this one. Uh, no speakers in the queue online. Thank you. Okay, uh, did we just have a motion? And did I forget yep. already? Okay, uh, we had a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Okay, Women's Commission. Uh, we have two vacancies and we've received two applications. Uh, I'll move the appointments of um, Samantha Ramirez and Erica Rosales-Shelfo. 
question and a second. And now, public comment, Ava, please. Women's Commission. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I have some questions. Uh, Women's Commission, is it not supposed to have 11 members? Uh, we could get that clarity and okay. keep going. I thought that the bylaws stated that they need 11 members, but I could be wrong. Um, I was looking at their website, and it looks like they have uh, canceled a couple meetings in a row, and it looks like they have only about four or five members right now per their website. Is that accurate? Um, you know, uh, Yes, thank you for doing that. Yeah, Eva. I, I would like I would like to point out that when you when you have these commission appointments, because there's a lot of conflicts of interest within these commissions, uh, and they're given you know a lot more authority and influence than the average citizen, um, that it would be appropriate to make sure that you have um, people from that commission either online to answer questions or here present because. You know, it's not clear to me why you would maintain a commission that doesn't have, you know, sufficient people. And I've seen this with the Human Rights Commission where people have missed multiple meetings in a row, like more meetings than you should. A at that point, you're supposed to be removed from the commission and, and they just keep going because they're, you know, and then what I'm seeing is a lot of people on multiple commissions. Or it's just, it's like a revolving door of county insiders. Um, I think the, the Women's Commission, unfortunately, uh, you know, it's not really clear what they're doing. If they're not meeting, if they don't have a sufficient number of, of members, and I would suggest that, that this, this kind of illustrates one of the shortcomings of the commissions. If the commissions are so ineffectual that you can't get enough people to apply to be on the commission, then maybe you need to rethink how commissions are functioning. And, you know, I mean, I would, just, I would just recommend for the meantime, make sure these people show up for these meetings where, you know, the public should be able to get some answers. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. Is there any comment online? There are no speakers in the queue. Okay. Thank you. Uh, we'll bring it back. Uh, and uh, I will just say that I, we interviewed the candidate for District 3. Uh, quite thoroughly, and we're impressed with her. And the Women's Commission has done quite a lot, and there's been quite a bit of um, people retiring from that commission recently. So, all right, we had a motion and a second. Um, all in favor to approve? To Aye. 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 Thank you. Okay, that carries. And then finally, the Youth Commission, we have one vacancy. Um, I'll move the appointment of Diana Jimenez Salcida from for the seat. Second. Okay, we have a motion and a second. Is there any public comment on this item? Not seeing anyone in the chambers. Is there anyone online? Madam President, there are no speakers in the queue. Thank you. Okay, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you. That appointment has been made. We will now uh, recess as the Board of Supervisors, and we are going to quickly meet as the County Parks and Open Space District Board of Directors. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Okay, I guess we're just county open space district. No parks. Uh, I guess we start with the minutes. I'll move the minutes. Okay. Second. Okay. Any public comment on the minutes? Not seeing anyone in the chambers. Is there anyone online? There are no speakers in the queue. 
Okay, we have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Okay, any board of directors matters? Any general manager's report? Good morning. All right. Uh, good morning, or what's left of the morning? About a minute left. Um, uh, Chris Chamberlain, assistant general manager for the Open Space District. Uh, just a real brief report. Um, I just wanted to, to let you all know that we have uh, begun implementation on the Roy's Redwoods restoration project. Had a great article in the Chronicle this past weekend. If you didn't get a chance to see it, happy to share that with you. Uh, we're really excited. It's got some amazing. Uh, uh, improvements that are going to benefit the redwoods uh, and the environment the environment out there but also improve accessibility for our users and really create a defined more sustainable system of trails out there so we're excited to to have broken ground on that um, a lot of vegetation management work going on this time of year um, we're all over the county all over our preserves I'm not going to get too far into it other than if folks are interested um, you can visit our website or reach out to us on the specificities of the work um, but we've got crews uh, in partnership with MWPA and with the fire department uh, working at various preserves uh, doing important defensible space work as well as some, some work up on the San Geronimo Ridge uh, as part of the um, larger uh, forest health project. Um, our road and trail team also uh, is working on the installation of a replacement bridge on the Cary Camp Trail in Cascade Canyon. And um, I wanted to let you all know that our upcoming uh, regularly scheduled Parks and Open Space Commission meeting next Thursday, uh, we are, instead of doing a traditional uh, meeting here in the chambers, uh, we're going to be actually doing a field trip. Uh, we're actually going to be meeting out at Buck's Landing as our first location, and we're going to head up to Eagle Rock Trail up in the Terra Linda Sleepy Hollow Preserve to see some recent improvements and the beginnings of the, uh, the first half of that project that's been completed. And then we're going to end up at Sun Valley Park, which is the city of San Rafael Park, um, in which they just recently did a big playground upgrade that um, used a significant amount of Measure A funds. Um, so uh, there'll be an agenda getting posted later this week with an associated map. If folks are interested, please do join us. It's an opportunity to see some new facilities and some new work um, and improvements here in the community. Uh, and the last item that I wanted to, uh, to mention was provided just a, a brief update on the 33-foot vessel that uh, ran aground on uh, Upton Beach, which is the county portion uh, adjacent to Stinson Beach. Um, that It's a 33-foot vessel that landed on the beach uh, back at the end of July, uh, and we've been working closely with our partners in the Sheriff's Office and County Council, uh, as well as the vessel owner, um, to work on mitigating and removing that. Um, we expect to, to have that vessel removed finally, uh, hopefully by the end of this week. Uh, it's been uh, of much interest to the community. It's actually in the IJ today, um, and we're, we're confident that we'll be able to get that removed uh, by the end of, the, of this week. So uh, that concludes my report. I, I had to hold back on saying you didn't want to get in the weeds on the veg management report, right? Okay. <laughs> the weeds that are being trimmed. Okay. Any questions? No, thanks for a great report, Chris. Any public comment on this item? I'm uh, not seeing anyone in the chambers or online, so we'll power through and go to uh, 10D, request to approve the purchase of services from Conservation Corps North Bay in the amount of $163,000. Great, thank you. Uh, this is a, an annual item that we bring back each year, uh, really supporting our partnership with the Conservation Corps North Bay. Uh, they really expand our capacity to do some important trail stewardship work uh, out in our trail systems, uh, whether it be uh, 
vegetation clearance on sides, but also improving trail tread, uh, maintaining stairs, rock walls, et cetera. Um, you know, we have limited capacity internally. Um, so the, uh, this work in partnership with the Conservation Corps, not only does it help us expand our capacity, but it also really uh, is a training ground for potential future employees uh, and also future environmental leaders to really get them that exposure uh, of what it means to be out in the preserves, taking care of, of these wonderful spaces. Uh, and, and making sure that our, our trails are performing in a sustainable manner consistent with our road and trail management plan uh, that we adopted back in 2014. So, um, you know, I mentioned that this, it's a training ground for future employees. As we all know, our, our current director was a former CCMB employee, as well as several other of our department staff and other uh, folks countywide. So uh, it's an amazing partnership, and, uh, and I'm happy to answer any questions if you have. Super. Any questions? Seeing any here, any here, any public comment on this item? No one in chambers, there's no one online. So we'll bring it back for a motion to approve. So moved. Thank you. Second. Okay. Uh, motion moved and second. Uh, second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay. And last one 10E, Restoration Design Group. This is Construction Oversight Services at Roy's Redwoods Open Space Reserve. Um, yes, thank you, uh, um, Director. Uh, so this is, is a, a, a contract with Restoration Design Group. As I mentioned, uh, the Roy's Redwoods restoration project has, has broken ground. Restoration Design Group was a key partner in the designing uh, with our team of this restoration project. And this contract is to keep them on board with us throughout the construction implementation process to help us with field decisions and things that need to be made uh, as we work through the project. You know, the design is really, um, you know, a best approach, but really once we get out in the field and start performing the work, there's a lot of field-based decisions that need to be made, and this contract will help uh, maintain that partnership through the implementation. Okay, if there's no questions, I'm not seeing any, uh, any public comment. I'm not seeing any. We I will, will move the item, 10E, Thank you. to approve by second. second. Great. Uh, motion by Rice, second by Rodoni. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you. And, and just a note, I believe we skipped over public comment. The 10C. Well, we kind of <laughs> did. I, I, I merged it in with public comment on the general manager's <laughs> report. Let me just call any general public comment. Okay, no one in the chambers. Is there anyone online? There no speakers in the queue. Okay, thank you. We'll close it. And with that, we're adjourned. Thank Excellent. you very thank much, you. Chris. Okay. Great. We are going to now uh, reconvene as the Marin County Board of Supervisors and go into closed session. We'll see everyone at 1.30. Thanks.
action. We were in a closed session and there is nothing to report at this time. We're going to uh, take up the Assessment Appeals Board now. We have two candidates who are here with us this afternoon who have applied, thanks to you both. Uh, the way this will work is uh, we'll go in alphabetical order. Uh, and so, Mr. Soda, you'll be first, and then Mr. Thielander, you're second. We have a series of five questions to ask you. My colleagues and I will each take a turn. We'll do w one interview at a time, then move to the next one, and then we'll have a little del deliberation, make an appointment. Uh, and I want to thank you both for applying. We have the one seat, so if we don't pick you, please um, stay tuned, stay involved, come back and see us. So uh, with that, uh, Mr. Soda, you're already in place, so I'm going to start, and we're going to go in district order. All right, District 1 Supervisor Sackett has the first question. Go right. Good afternoon, Mr. Soda. Thank you for being here. The, as mm -hmm. the Assessment Appeals Board is a quasi-judicial body. How would you ensure objective and impartial decisions based on the evidence presented at the hearing? Please describe any experience handling similar hearings to those conducted by the Assessment Appeals Board. I think I uh, in indicated in my application that I have more than 30 years of uh, real estate brokerage uh, in the county. Um, I'm not representing clients actively at this point. My wife has some <clears throat> property that she owns separately, and I also take care of my 97-year-old mother's property in Palm Desert, so I'm busy uh, actually in that regard. Uh, but most of that time was involved uh, representing clients and so forth. And I think that it's invaluable to know the areas of this county. And even after 30 years, I'm still finding places I haven't been and areas that I wasn't sure of uh, or didn't have a complete familiarity with. But I've done, over the 30 years, I've done hundreds of uh, what are called BPOs, broker price opinions, in which you actually do an appraisal for a lender. And so I'm familiar with the process. Um, I think I've always had a pretty good comfort level with uh, accounting. It was actually my minor in school. So um, I feel comfortable in saying that I have some familiarity with uh, appraisals and uh, evaluation. Good afternoon, Mr. Soda. Thanks so much for your interest in serving on this board. Um, my question is, the California Constitution governs the Assessment Appeals Board, numerous revenue and taxation provisions, and the Board of Equalization Guidelines. How would you, your process ensure you keep up with the various rules and requirements? That was a great question, and I would not presume to uh, be up to speed on all of those areas, but I will say that the Department of Real Estate once a year sends out uh, an update to all the real estate laws. It usually comes out in January, and I usually will spend a lot of time uh, reviewing those recent uh, real estate changes. So I think that's on me to become uh, uh, aware of all the recent changes in real estate. With respect to uh, law or other areas of law or finance or uh, other issues, I, I think there are experts on that, and I would certainly look to areas where there would be updates, and I would need to update or refresh my uh, recollection of a specific area, but I wouldn't pretend to say that I would ever be completely up to speed in all those other areas. Yeah. Okay, I have the third uh, question. Do you have any apparent or potential conflicts of interest that we should know about? Uh, I don't believe that I do. Um, I own my, my house in Sausalito, and uh, I own half interest in a house in Las Vegas, which uh, my daughter has. Um, 
my wife has some property that she owns separately in Marin. She has several properties here, which I manage for her, but they're actually in her separate trust. I don't have any uh, uh, connection with those other than to advise her and to facilitate what needs to be done in each of those. Uh, I'm certainly well aware that in any of those cases, I would need to recuse myself uh, you know, from any uh, potential misgivings or whatever, proprieties. Okay, thanks very much. Afternoon. <coughs> Afternoon. Afternoon, Ms. Casota. Um, the questions are getting easier, I think. Have you ever attended or participated in any way in an assessment appeals board hearing? I have not, although I have made a couple of attempts, one for most recently for my mother in getting her property reassessed uh, in Palm Desert, but uh, I've not attended any hearings or. Good, thank you. Last question is to please explain your qualifications in reference to the requirements provided to you today, although I think these requirements may have been provided earlier. They're at the bottom of the page there that talks about uh, how often the uh, appeals board meets, uh, the compensation for full and half day uh, hearings, as well as the qualifications set by the California State Board of Equalization. So with that in mind, please explain your qualifications in response to those requirements. Thank you, I have read those and I do accept those and they're not a problem. Um, as I mentioned in my application, I think one of the most important things on coming up with evaluation is really understanding the area. And I don't know how you can put a, uh, a specific area of importance on just 30 years of service, but in 30 years you don't end up with a lot of different clients and a lot of different situations and uh, a lot of valuations and so forth. So I think the experience uh, goes a long way. That plus doing a lot of broker price opinions uh, frequently involved with lenders who, you know, there's pressure to maybe get you to raise the, your broker price opinion, which I never agreed to. Um, I think you have to decide whether the property's valuation is worth based on the three appraisal methods of which the comps are most frequently used for, for uh, residential real estate um, and, and base your decision on that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm going to add a question here. I feel like we're a little light in uh, detail. <laughs> so I want to give you an opportunity to tell us why you want to be on the appeals board. I, I have a, um, I served on the Berries, which is the multiple listing service for Northern California, you're probably familiar with. I served on that board for nine years until just recently, and there's an election process, and I did not win the last uh, election, but uh, I very much enjoyed being on that board. Um, I've been involved in real estate uh, since probably 1980, and uh, and this is my home, Marin County, so I, I'm very much involved in valuations and uh, so forth. I, I find it personally interesting. I used to actually produce uh, statistics and various reports for the Marin Association of Realtors and various independent brokers in Marin County based on uh, MLS data, but also the data that the assessor's office produces, which shows annual. So... Um, Thank you. I appreciate your question. that. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Okay. Well, thank you for that. We're going to go ahead and introduce, uh, interview our second candidate. Uh, and uh, welcome, Mr. Thielander. You can sit right here at the desk. Yes. Yes. Either one is fine. Okay. Welcome. We're going to go through the same drill. Uh, and we're going to start with Supervisor Sackett, who will ask the first question. Good afternoon. Thanks for applying. You're welcome. 
The Assessment Appeals Board is a quasi-judicial body. How would you ensure objective and impartial decisions based on the evidence presented at the hearing? And please describe any experience handling similar hearings to those conducted by the Assessment Appeals Board. Uh, as a city council member in Burlington, Vermont, about a thousand years ago, I was a um, new lawyer at that time, so uh, set many school board, real estate uh, assessment boards. It, there was not an assessment board, appeals board at that time, so I had the pr privilege of serving a, as a young lawyer in uh, real estate appeals and Again, school board, it, a lot of things came directly to the city council for appeal purposes. So that was my first start. Secondly, SEC, Washington, D.C., served in SEC enforcement, served in, which is, uh, we had uh, at prosecuting financial fraud, uh, came up many times in front of administrative law judges in D.C., working closely with uh, Department of Justice and FBI on investigations, so very familiar with those adjudicatory bodies. Uh, in my role as on my board of my law school for over 10 years, we held moot courts, which is not obviously, but uh, quasi-judicial bodies mock. And uh, in my bottom line, in my 35, 38 years of lawyering around the world, just have been in front of many quasi-judicial bodies, no rules of adjudicated procedure very well and still very current on that. So deep, deep experience, bottom line. I could tell you more, but I know we don't probably don't have time. <laughs> afternoon, Mr. Beamer. Thank you so much for your interest. Um, the California Constitution governs the Assessment Appeals Board, numerous revenue and taxation provisions, and the Board of Equalization guidelines. How would you process, how would your process ensure that you keep up with the various rules and requirements? Yeah, I've been doing that all my professional life. You know, I, um, I was a senior um, executive in PricewaterhouseCoopers, managing director. We had deep, deep uh, regulatory drivers, codes of ethics, compliance requirements. Painfully had to stay uh, abreast of all those. I've been consulting around the world for the last 25 years and it after the SEC, so that's always has been a hallmark of, and heading up big legal groups like Schwab, the international legal group, I've had to really stay abreast of all constitutional, statutory, regulatory requirements, beginning with the SEC. So lengthy, lengthy, deep in experience in those areas. Thank you. Sure. Uh, David, I'll ask you any apparent uh, conflicts of interest that we should know about? None other, other than being a homeowner and a property owner in Mill Valley for the last 28 years, but I can't imagine any of that's gonna come up and present a conflict, but no. I've been a Mill Valley resident again for almost 30 years, but again, I don't think I, I don't have any business interests or anything like that here to would pre present a conflict. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Mr. Thielander. Uh, have you ever attended or participated in any way in an assessment appeal board hearing? I I've observed. I had a I actually had a very positive experience with a, an assessment, not an appeal, but a, I, I don't know what you call it, but that kind of desktop. This is back in probably 08, and uh, treated very fairly by the assessor and the appraisers at the time in, in this building. And so I just, because I'm curious, just went in and at that time attended a couple of assessment appeals just in case my um, uh, 
coming to the desktop officer didn't, but we it was settled. They knocked my assessment down a little bit, and so the, only in that case. And I followed. I do um, not the assessment uh, appeals board, but I not religiously, but closely observe the board of supervisors in your meetings. <laughs> but that you know, and then seeing the impact on the, the p potential appeals. But so not directly over the past couple of years, but I'm very familiar with the process. So my second question, um, why do you want to be on the appeals board, assessment appeals, assessment appeals board, sorry. <laughs> Seen that fast five times. <laughs> Candidly, um, I moved out here to Mill Valley almost 30 years ago, um, have always lived uh, kind of an international, always been my home here, but I've done a lot of interesting things internationally and domestically. and. I'm at the point in my life where kids are launched. I'm not retiring, uh, but I kids are launched. I've just really enjoyed Mill Valley and Marin County and see this as an opportunity to give back. I've always been passionate about civic engagement, like my Burlington experience a thousand years ago kind of dictates. But so it's a combination of I think I've got a skill set that I can use locally, frankly, to give back and uh, give back to the citizens, frankly, with my skill set. Thank you. David, the last question to wrap up, uh, please explain your qualifications in reference to the requirements that were provided to you today on the bottom of that sheet there. Yeah, so um, civic engagement, city council experience, I really understand local government processes, understand how important it is that, frankly, these, what um, Mr. Soda described, you know, it, it's this is, to me, the real estate appraisal assessment fairness, transparency, how important that is. I get that from my 30 whatever years of experience, um, both as a lawyer and as I've done a ton of, I've represented developers back in my life in Vermont. I understand appraise, the appraisal process, the um, the appeal process, again, I, I call it administrative law, but you know, quasi-judicial body, how that all operates. I'm just incredibly comfortable in that. Um, you've heard a little bit of my detail around my experience, but just in some, um, just think this is an important area. I, I really did, now where I am in my stage of my career is I just thought about, I was on the Mill Valley Library Foundation Board, for example, for about five years and passionate about helping local our local communities um, not only th survive but thrive and fair appraisal processes, fair appeal processes, and I'm just proud of what Marin County has done through nothing nothing I've done, but just you created an environment where it works well, people are treated fairly, and I get back again, I just feel qualified to give back in that respect using my skill set. Thank you. Hey, thank you both. I think this is now the time we will do a little deliberating. And um, you're both incredibly well qualified for this position, so it's not going to be an easy decision. Uh, but let me give my colleagues just a minute uh, to gather our thoughts, and then we'll deliberate here. President Moulton Peters? Yeah. And maybe council, would it be possible for us to ask the assessor recorder a question about the uh, the board, the assessment appeals board? Yeah. 
made the traffic several times too, so thank you. Great. Welcome to our county assessor. Shelley. Good afternoon, um, Shelley Scott, assessor. So I'm just, um, I'm trying to remember and I'm not able to dig this up. So this is for Appeals Board 1 and I'm trying to remember the um, professional backgrounds of the um, currently two serving the, the, the folks who are currently on that board. I believe they're attorneys. Uh, Dirk Brinkerhoff was the broker who was on that board. I believe it's attorneys, correct, Andrea? One attorney, one real estate professional on that board. Okay. Dirk was the broker who's now retiring after, I want to say, 30 plus years of wonderful service to the county. We're going to miss him. Okay. Thank you. Bet. Is there someone who'd like to lead off? Oh, thank you. Yeah, public comment. Uh, I'm not seeing anyone in the chambers. Is there anyone online who wants to comment? There are no speakers in the queue. Okay, thank you. Uh, all right, Jeff, I'm going to start with you. All right, thank you. I get the pleasure. Thanks to both the candidates and applicants. I really appreciate you submitting your name. You certainly are both very well qualified, sort of from different perspectives, and I appreciate that too, and thank you for the question uh, to the assessor. Um, at this point, I think I'm leaning towards um, Mr. Thielander as my, my choice, um, and I hope that uh, Mr. Soda continues to be engaged because these positions come up often, so thank you. Yeah, um, and and to both of you, e equally well qualified, bringing up the the different skill sets that are so obviously apropos to the, these positions. I'm actually I'm I'm looking at the terms of the currently serving, and I'm I was hoping that I was hoping that the uh, assessor recorder would tell me that both the current serving were either attorneys or both were assessors. Of course, that wasn't the answer I got. <laughs> Um, but I, um, I'm actually, I'm, uh, I, I think I'm going to go with uh, Mr. Soda um, because I see that um, of those two other board members, um, there's a more recently appointed attorney, um, and then the um, real estate professional has actually been serving for quite a while. Um, her term doesn't expire till 2025, but um, I would think it'd be good to have somebody on the on the board um, that uh, with real estate uh, uh, assessors background, uh, professional experience, um, and have some chance to build up that skill set before she retires, as it were. Not saying that she's gonna, but. <laughs> uh, Supervisor Sackett and Supervisor Lucan. Um, two very qualified candidates. Uh, that makes this decision difficult. I am going to go with Mr. Thielander. Thank you. Okay, Supervisor Lucan. Uh, also, very, very great applicants. Uh, thank you both so much for your interest in this. 
uh, I think uh, looking at the Assessment Appeals Board, I think having someone with evaluation uh, background and experience is, is key, so I'm going to go with Mr. Soda. Aha, that makes me the tiebreaker. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I am going to go with Mr. Thielander just because of his uh, broad breadth of experience in different ways and engagement with thanks to Mr. Soda. I, well, I thought of it, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I think we've got um, three votes for Mr. Thielander and two for Mr. Soda, and thank you so much, Mr. Soda and Mr. Thielander, for coming to see us today. And we need a formal motion, supervisors. Okay. Is there, would someone make a motion, please? Um, I'd be glad to move that we appoint David Thielander to fill the Assessment Appeals Board uh, expiration of Dirk Wickenhall. <laughs> second. Okay. We have a motion by Redonia, second by Sackett. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay. Thank you very much, gentlemen. We appreciate it. All right, with that, uh, we will now go back into closed session. Uh, and so, and then I guess we'll come out and then adjourn, okay? No, we'll adjourn from closed session. So, so we'll go into closed session at 2.30 and then we're done for the afternoon. Okay, yeah. thank you. Mm -hmm. That's what we're doing.